Welcome, welcome, welcome. It's been a big week in gaming. I'm Intergot and he's Swinney for episode 9 for Sunday the 13th of September 2020. In this week's show we'll be discussing Xbox Series S, the official reveal, the new Hyrule Warriors, is it a Breath of the Wild prequel? And Swinney's impressions of the remastered Kingdom of Amalar re-reckoning. Swinney, how was your week? The week would be much better if I took myself on mute. Let me just put it that way. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, My my week has been uh, honestly probably the best week I've had in ages, games-wise, I'd say. Um, (laughs) I mean, we're still stuck in isolation here in Melbourne, so I can't say, you know, outside of that. Honestly, that I've been like a kid in a candy store this week. Um, there's not been enough time to play games for me. Um, I've loved it. <laughs> and and we probably should say, actually, I don't think we've ever said this. This is like episode nine, but I'm actually Sydney-based, formerly, well, a long time formerly, Melbourne, and you're Melbourne-based. So I'm always a bit like hesitant to tell you what I do during the week and going out, <laughs> going, you know, playing footy with my son and all this other kind of stuff that we're doing. Like. Yeah, I, at the moment, just going out to my mailbox without wearing a mask feels like I'm breaking the law. So it's <laughs> very different down here in Melbourne. Oh, it's so different. Like, you know, up here in Sydney, I'd probably only say maybe 5 to 10% of people wear masks when they walk around the place. And it's all voluntary. Um, it's not mandatory at this stage at all. So, yeah, it's it's pretty wild. It's pretty wild. Yeah, and for me... Like I'm, I'm definitely you know in 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 favour of many of the measures, but at the same time, it's like, oh man, just I just like I haven't seen any of my mates in person since like March at this point. <laughs> it's it's getting pretty crazy. Oh, but yeah. uh, outside outside of that, um, from from the game standpoint, so not only have I just uh you know had lots of little um games to to play in the I guess earlier part of the week, but they they added achievements to the Final Fantasy VII Windows Store. <laughs> um, version of the game, so I've been replaying Final Fantasy VII. Uh, Kingdom of Amalur came out, which we'll, I'll, I'll talk about um, in our, one of our special features. I played through the first chapter of Tell Me Why, and last week I said that I'd actually kind of give my impressions, but what I'm going to do is, because it's a bit of a packed week, I'm actually going to do that next week and play through the remaining two chapters. Um, but just as a spoiler, um, I had a good time with Chapter 1, so it'll uh, it'll be cool to talk about them all next week. And I just also read before that the um, the Disgaea 4 version on the Windows Store is getting achievements as well. So, man, it's just like, I'm, I'm having a great time. I like how you're so driven by the achievements. Like, oh, I, w- yeah. I would it, love... It gets, it gets me on. <laughs> <laughs> I would love if Microsoft did a deal with Nintendo and had, like, Xbox achievements for Nintendo games on the Switch. You'd just go back and play all the Switch games that you've already played again. <laughs> Well, that was like Rare Replay. Like By that mm. point, I'd kind of stopped focusing on every game. Oh, I have to play every game and get every achievement. By that point, I'd kind of given up on that, which was a great decision. But when Rare Replay came out, I was like, man, this is great. Like, I'm playing through Jet Force Gemini again, and I'd already beaten like the Banjo games and stuff. But um, it was just it was just really cool. Like Blast Corps, playing through Blast Corps with achievements was crazy. Because mm. I'd... I'd, I'd be- 
you know, me and, and my mate at the time when we were kids got every single platinum medal in Blast Corps, which is insane. Yeah. Like, the thought of doing that now is insane. And you only had to get one platinum medal to get the achievement in the Rare Replay. And it's crazy how high-valued even that achievement is. Like, it's got something to do with the amount of people that played that game and didn't get their Fire and Blast Corps, I'm sure, but... Well, uh, as a third party to this, because I wasn't participating in the Blast Corp stuff, like, I played it a little bit, and I I almost don't know how you guys did it. Like, I feel like if I gave you a week to do it now, you wouldn't be able to do it. Oh, no way. Give me a year, I probably wouldn't be able to do it. Because (laughs) it was also also the combination of two people working on it. Um, But the thing with Blast Corps is that you know, you get through everything, and you're like, oh, now we've got to get all the gold medals, and then the game goes, ah, it's like she, now there's platinum medals and it just throws like even harder times on every single stage and you're like mm. are you kidding me but it was really fun at the time and you know back then we didn't have as many games to play so you kind of like you know make the most of what you got but i still love blast corps i i i wish it had more recognition i think um not enough people know about that game well i you know and this is so overused in the whole gaming media youtuber landscape but it really is a hidden gem like, oh, it, yeah. it's a game that I don't see get any love, and it, it's such a great game. Like, it is a really good game. It's a bit... I guess it's a bit rough now if you... Like, how, how does it look in the Rare Replay version, actually? So, look, it definitely looks rough, but mm. what's really good is, um, similar to what they did with the Banjo games, is they they run really smoothly now, and with Blast Corps and with those Banjo games, the frame rate was probably the biggest problem, then followed by the controls being a bit wonky, and they've... They kind of fixed both of those. Um, you still have, was it the backlash, that little um, dump truck that you have to like swing around and hit the back of buildings with? Oh, That's yeah. still tricky to get used to, but um, I think it's easier using, let's say, an Xbox controller than a 64 controller in that regard. Mm. So. Yeah, no, that's true. Yeah, and for me this week, I, I haven't had a chance to play that many games. I've actually, like I said last week, played a bit of Rocket League just because it's so easy to jump in and out. And, you know, something that I will talk about as a teaser uh, for the end of the show is, you know, I had a birthday this week and I was lucky happy enough. Happy birthday. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, and I was happy, uh, lucky enough to get, uh, <laughs> and I did say <laughs> the other week or the week with prior that we won't talk about analog for a long time, <laughs> but uh, my wife got me an analog DAC. So that's a way to plug in the Super NT into like lots of different analog formats. Um so yeah, we'll, we'll, I'll just chat about sort of my impressions on on that. Uh, so it wouldn't be a review or anything like that, but just just some thoughts about how that went. Uh, which so, you know, a bit of a teaser, but uh, you know, it was really awesome, dude. Can I can I just unpack the process of someone buying you an analog device? Or, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> is it? I don't know what to get you. Tell me what you want, and then you just order it, and they. Like, because the thing is that, you know, you're married, so are you actually also paying for it at that point? I know, she <laughs> has her own like, money. Okay, but, um, so, but, but I know that you're a stickler for detail and you, you yeah, want to make sure you get the exact right <laughs> thing. So how did that work? No, she she ordered it. I didn't order it. Um, look, it is true what you're saying sometimes. Like, you know, you know, like the Game & Watch. Like I said to her, hey, I'm just going to order this because it's going to sell out and I'll just, you know just give it to me as a Christmas present. So sort of you've covered off some of the Christmas presents and stuff like that. So we, we do do that sometimes if it's something that I know will just disappear straight away. So like I did that with the analog pocket, right? Um, 
But with the DAC, it didn't expect it to sell out and she just ordered it. And I sort of said that, hey, this would be something cool. And that was a long time ago, actually. Like it's taken ages to to come. You know, I think it was like a month or two months to ship to Australia. It's just shocking how bad their shipping is. Like I love that company, but man, the shipping is just horrible. It turns off so many people. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it's, yeah, I, I can't wait to talk about it actually and just get your thoughts on it. I'd love for you to actually see it. And it's, it's actually starting a whole rabbit hole I'm going down, um, which is, I think, very dangerous. But yeah, we'll, we'll chat about it later in the show. Um, well, I, I still do need a way to play that, um, gunky, um, jungle book cart I found in the shed the other day. So. <laughs> I, I, I'm fearful if you try to plug it into my Super NT. <laughs> I don't want you to blow it up with your dodgy cart. <laughs> All right, let, let, let's get into uh, the, I would probably say the biggest, uh, you know, most hidden, most unknown rumor that's out there, uh, Mario 3D All-Star Collection. No, no, no. I'm talking about the Xbox Series S. Um, so finally, finally, the Xbox Series S has been announced by Microsoft and seemingly their hand was forced with a bunch of leaks and very credible leaks coming from was Windows Central, uh, uh, from memory. Um, and then, you know, it, it was a bit of an avalanche of leaks, like where people actually had the full-on uh, videos and YouTube videos that actually then subsequently got published. And it seemed like Microsoft just reacted and said, okay, we're just going to pull the trigger on this and actually publish it. Uh, so the Series I, S. Yeah, go on. So I was just going to say, see, I'm, I'm going to be the, the skeptical one this time. I reckon that was all just planned. I reckon this time, like, them having access to the trailer <laughs> is the thing that, that I go, wait, why would they have the trailer? That's one of the easiest things to keep a secret. Like, it's one thing to have when you've got stuff being produced and, like, oh, there's something on a controller box or, hey, you know, there's developers know about this because and Digital Foundry's known about this since March or whatever. But a trailer? Someone having the trailer is like, come on, you just gave that to them to leak this. Yeah, so like I, you know, I'm I'm usually the conspiratorial one out of both of us. I I don't think so because there's actually a, a holiday at the moment in the US, so it's not a very good time actually. I think to leak something like that um, because what you know you, you got to remember that they really care about the publisher relationships and the media organization relationships, so they don't want to push something out where it's going to be really inconvenient for those companies either because then that just puts people offside. Um, so I, I think generally maybe I would believe it, but given the exact time when it got leaked, it was like 2am, I think in the U S or something like that. It just, it just doesn't make sense. You know, like, you know, unless in the really crazy way, they're really trying to make it secretive, like that they, they want to deny that they leaked it, but it just doesn't make sense. It'd be big news if they released it. I think they said that they were going to release it the week after or something like that. Um, so I, look, you know, it's interesting. Some people are saying that what you're saying though. It still hit really big though. So I don't think the timing was, was probably too much of an uh, an issue with that, but I I know what you're saying. Like I didn't realize that that was like 2am then that kind of, that's a bit more credibility on that one. Yeah. Yeah, And look, I, I think the key thing for me is why I don't believe it would have been purposely leaked by them. And you know, when I say that, what I mean is, you know, coming from senior management, hey, let's get this out there. Like, yes, it could have been someone in the marketing team and Xbox just saying, you know what, I'm sick of this. We've They've made the wrong decision. They've got to get it out. You know what I mean? So if that's what you're saying, that someone internal to Microsoft said, you know what, F this, I'm just going to leak it myself 
because we've got to get it out the door. Maybe, maybe, I don't know. Um, mm. But it, it is interesting how just, you know, created that avalanche with Microsoft. And then they basically, you know, as we'll talk about in the next segment, started saying, okay, here's the price of, you know, the consoles and, <laughs> you know, here's the release dates. And they just kind of like dumped all the information almost very unceremoniously. But um, with the Series S, so it's actually going to be the smallest Xbox that they've ever released. It's uh, all digital, which I've seen zero backlash on, so no disc at all. Um, and then, uh, you know, with the Series X, it goes up to 8K slash 4K at a sort of 60 frame rate or FPS. This version will do like 1440p at 60 frames a second. So it's sort of like that, you know, resolution downgrade, but trying to hit the same frame weights. And as opposed to the Series X, which is a terabyte SSD, this has 512 gigabyte SSD. So, and you know, there's other little nuances, but I don't know, like, it's funny, you know, one of our good mates is trying to absolutely convince me not to get this, but I'm, I'm really compelled by this, man. Like I have zero interest in 4k. I don't run things through 4k. Like I usually run everything through my 1080p monitor that's on my desk. And the size of the series X is just, it's way too big. Whereas the Series S, like, you know, and I saw the great comparisons against like the PS4, it's like the half the size of the launch PS4. And I'm like, that's, that's pretty awesome, man. Like that actually matters to me. And I think it's a pretty cool little unit. Like what were your impressions? Oh yeah. I, I think it looks great. Um, you know, some people are a little put off by the giant, uh, I guess, vent, circular vent on the top where I guess one of the fans is because it almost looks like a giant speaker, but I think when you actually watch the trailer and you see actually people like holding the case, yeah, I think it, it looks fine. Um, if anything, it makes it gives it a bit more character. Yeah. Um, in in terms of I guess the specs and you know the breakdown, um, the fact that it's all digital is is fine. But we'll I'll give my thoughts on why I won't be getting one in a moment on that. Um, but also the you know when it comes to the specs, I think some of that is a wait and see because. Um, it's going to be interesting to see to see the comparisons when you've got um, true next gen games. How it's going to run on both. Now, mm. some of that might just be the resolution, but the frame rate's a big thing to me. We've talked about it before. Um, you know, they've said, "Oh, this can you know do up to 120." Like that's with they were saying, you know, 60 was the standard this gen. That was not the case for the majority of games. That's true. Like that. That's true. So I really. You know, let's say, um, you know, I've talked about this game a lot, but Elden Ring. Okay, what's what's Elden Ring going to run on? Like, I want to see what that looks like on both. Um, but the reason why I would definitely get a Series X over this is the lack of a disk drive. And the main reason of that is not because I, I buy majority of my games digital these days. But the problem here is, and I, this is where Microsoft could come to the party and convince me otherwise, is backwards compatibility. So I've got a library of over a hundred mm. games on disc that are backwards compatible, um, and how for the three sixty. So how is that going to work? You know, there's, I I think there's always been there's rumors. Ah, oh, there's you might be able to like do a trade in thing, but I'm not interested in trading my disc for digital code. Yeah. So I for the backwards compatibility that is an issue for me, and it's not an issue for everyone. So that's where this machine does make sense for a lot of people. It doesn't make sense for someone like me that actually wants to use those discs in the future and wants to use it on, you know, that machine. Obviously, I've got my my Xbox One and I've got my I've got like fourth Xbox Three Hundred and Sixty. So it's not like I wouldn't have a way to play those games. 
but that is always going to be important to me um, if they're selling that backwards compatibility. Yeah, it's a, it's a really good point. I mean, I do actually have a library of 360 games. I don't have any Xbox One games because I don't have an Xbox One. Um, but I do probably have about 20 360 games or some order of that. Um, so it's kind of something I didn't really think about. But at the same time, I feel like, you know how I'm very much a physical collector. Like I almost have all of my game physically. Um, and even crazily enough, I have sometimes a physical and then I just have a digital game because it's more convenient to load up, which is very bad of me. But um, yeah, I, like with this, like I feel like this machine is almost perfectly targeted at people like me or like PlayStation players who, you know, they like PlayStation exclusives or Switch exclusives or PC, ex- well, not really, there's any PC exclusives, but, you know, certain games I like to play on PC. But the thing that really appeals to me about this is just a really like simple you know, almost like a PC Steam box like they had back in the day. And then you combine that with like Xbox Game Pass Ultimate, which then you could play games on the PC and on this. It, it's just a really compelling proposition. And I think, you know, it would have been about five episodes ago. I think you were really uh, prescient with, you know, your view on, you know, they're kind of competing on different things. You know, Xbox slash Microsoft and Sony with the PlayStation like really like Microsoft is just purely going, we just want to get you in the door. And I feel like with this console, you know, they're really probably taking a bath, especially in America on the pricing. Like I just cannot believe that they would be able to sell it at a profit. And we'll get into the pricing in the next next segment, but I, I don't believe they'd be making a profit at least on the series S. Um, and even when they, you know, they have the all access, like as we'll chat about in the next segment, you know, like, I think they just want to get you in the door, get you on the services, you know, you're paying your X amount per month and you're sort of, you know, you've got that like always in the background. And, you know, it's kind of compelling to me, you know, there are times where we'll chat about something and I'll kind of go, Hey, you know what? In the back of my mind, you know, that game's launching on game pass. It would have been good to just jump in, play it a bit, even if it's a couple of hours, just get a kind of impression of the game. And if you really like it, keep playing it. Um, and I think that that's where this, device is just you know it's kind of like hitting that perfect sweet spot um between the playstation and you know at at the time of recording and probably by the time we publish this you know sony will release their pricing for the playstation 5 and you know the digital and non-digital versions of it but i i can't see sony coming close to the series s on their lower model so you know i don't know i just see a lot of parents i see a lot of people who this just would really appeal. And then, yeah, you have, you, you don't have disc backwards compatibility, but you do have the whole, you know, Xbox store. And there's like a stack of games that you can buy on there that are pretty cheap and go on sale a lot. It's, it's, it's a really cool device. I, th- I think my biggest issue with it, cause I do actually think, you know, based on the resolution and everything, it will perform pretty well. My biggest problem with the whole device, like almost the number one problem I have with it is just, is 512 gigabytes going to be enough? Like, I almost feel like they need to start compelling publishers and developers to have a download version where it only downloads the sort of, you know, 1080p version of the game. Because a lot of those assets are the 4K assets that are just ballooning the size of these games out. Well, that's what smart delivery is meant to be um, trying to address. Now, whether or not that's That's optional, right? Well, that's the thing is, Mm. um, so there's... Microsoft can 
you know, they're not going to dictate every single thing to third parties about that. So, you know, very likely if you wanted to play the next Call of Duty on the Series S, it's still going to be a 150 gig game. You know, that's probably not going to chop it down a lot. Um, but maybe, you know, Microsoft published titles might be a bit smarter with that. But with um, what you're saying, I think is a really good point. Um, I kind of almost view the Series S as almost like a Game Pass box. For a mm, yeah, 100%. And also, not every game is a big 3D, huge AAA title, especially on Game Pass. So I think it's, I can almost see people having a PS5, mm. having a Series S so they can get um, play stuff on Game Pass. And then, you know, if they wanted to have a PC or Switch, you know, as a separate thing, then they can. But the thing is, you know, a game like um, Hollow Knight, you know, just imagine that style of game. That doesn't require a lot of, you know, a, a lot of, power to mm. to basically run it so we know the series s is going to be 100 percent fine with games like that and those games game pass is full of those kind of um you know really really strong really decent uh if not great indie titles and i think that's going to be really good um especially at that price point not to say like still you know 299 which what ends up i think the we're saying about 499 Australian, or at least that's what EB Games was listed. Well, no, it's been confirmed. Best. But I mean, we'll get yeah. we'll get more into the pricing yeah. in the next segment. So, but but that's the, what I was going to get to is, I mean, that's still a chunk of money. So it's not like this thing is like super cheap. But obviously, it's it's got a lot of grunt to it, even though it is the lower model. So yeah, yeah, no, no, exactly. And it, it look, it's you know, we'll we'll get into the pricing in the next segment. But you know, getting to your point. That's kind of exactly where I'm coming from. Like, I look at it as, you know, I traditionally never buy the consoles at launch just because I find that, you know, especially now, they're almost guaranteed to do revisions. And I, I just kind of almost rather to go, this is what I did with the PS4. I sort of waited until the next model got revised. So it was the PS4 Pro. And then I got that, like, at launch of the PS4 Pro. Um, and then by that time, you know, you've got a fairly healthy library, but I look at this and I'm like, mm, you know what? Like this is, you know, it's not cheap, but it's much, much more affordable than norm. Like, you know, the other ones that once they get released, the series X and the PS five, you know, the both models, I can't imagine them being any cheaper than the series X or not much cheaper than the series X. Um, but it is a, it is a cool little box to have where, you know, sure there won't be the PlayStation exclusives, but a lot of the next gen games that are launching will release on it and as you said there's great games that come in and out of game pass so i kind of look at it as like you know something i could get you know get a bit of the next gen experience and then you know i'd say about two to three years into that generation they'll do a revision of the ps5 probably more like the three year to four year mark maybe um and then that's when i'd probably jump on the ps5 pro or whatever it's going to be called um, and I, you know, like I have to hand it to Microsoft and Phil Spencer. It's like, if I'm kind of feeling like this, you know, I'm sure there's a bunch of people that are really sold on it now and look at this and go, Hey, this is, you know, a great way to get into Fortnite or something like that. And by the way, like if they are not doing a deal with Epic to have a Xbox series S Fortnite edition on launch, I think it's such, such a big miss. Like, and I know that these things take time to to execute against but just given all the issues that epic are having with apple and that's even continuing we're not going to go on about it until there's bigger news but you know that's really in a bad spot right now and it's a big chunk of the fortnite player base and there's a lot of people that 
exclusively play on, you know, iPads and iPhones, and I'm sure that those kids are bothering their parents, I feel like if you get a really competitively priced Xbox Series S, maybe a little bit branded like Fortnite, you probably don't even need to do that, just as long as the box has Fortnite on it, and, you know, get that out by Christmas, that, I don't know, like, if you're a parent, you just look at it and you go, hey, this is this is a pretty good deal. Like, this makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and there's also, I think I saw that there's also a, a Switch Fortnite bundle that's coming out, or that's been advertised as well. So yeah. I don't know full details about that, but that just, yeah, it makes sense. Um, I'm definitely not the target market for that game in any way, but, um, <laughs> and I'll, I always find retail versions of free-to-play games the most bizarre thing possible, but it, it, it makes sense from a from a, a marketing standpoint, 100%. So Yeah, and it's the parents, you know, and I even get this when I go into EB Games, which is like GameStop in Australia, where, you know, parents ask me, I guess I'm a parent, and they look at me and they go, oh, you look like a parent, and they're like, hey, do you know about these games? Like, what do I need to get? You know, so like just having something that says Fortnite and their kid wants to get Fortnite, it's like, oh, okay, yeah, this makes a lot of sense. So if someone asked me, I'd probably say, oh, yeah, that game over there and point into like Alien Colonial Marines or something. (laughs) And let's get into the Xbox Series X launch info and then the Series S launch info as well. Uh, So both consoles, and and this all really came from the leak and then it just sort of like avalanched into all the information. Um, So both both systems are going to launch on the 10th of November. And that seems like in most regions. So it's definitely in Australia, US, in Europe. And then, yeah, like all the rest of the regions, I guess it depends on where you're at. But it is a global launch. Uh, in Australia, the Series X is going to be 750 bucks, 500 US dollars. And the Series S is going to be 500 Australian dollars and 300 US dollars. Now, like, you know, I love the finance stuff. You know, no one in Australia, when they talk about comparing prices, adds GST because in America, with the launch prices, they don't include sales tax. So you do need to include the GST. And then when you take the US price of the Series X, add GST, it's pretty much bang on 750 bucks. So it is very sharply priced, the Series X in Australia, whereas the Series S was a bit disappointing. Like when you when you sort of you know convert it, it's about more like about four fifty, four sixty Australian dollars, and they've actually bumped it up to about five hundred Australian dollars. And I feel like, you know, I was kind of predicting that they would be selling it for maybe four seven nine Australian. If it was more like four fifty, that would be such a compelling proposition in Australia. Five hundred, it's starting to be a bit of a stretch. Um, like were these prices? And I I should just also call out that pre orders. Uh, go live on the 22nd of September. So in Australia, you know, I think, you know, big ones like JB Hi-Fi and EB Games are the ones to go to, to, you know, because they're the more likely to guarantee the stock. There's a lot of operators out there just to warn people. Harvey Norman, they often have really good deals, but they often also overcommit to the stock and then people actually don't get what they <laughs> what they want. And, you know, I feel like these consoles will be limited. Um, but just getting back to the prices, Swinney, like, w- what did you think of the prices? Were they sort of in the order you were expecting or were you sort of a bit like, oh, a bit disappointed? Oh, look, I'm I'm struggling to remember exactly how, um, I guess, the price point that the 360 and the Xbox One um, launched at, but it seems in line with the, with those, if not slightly less potentially in the 360. I don't know if that was like maybe 800 at the time or something like that. I know the PlayStation title... Uh, consoles could get up there a bit over on our side 
I think the price point um, makes sense. Um, the thing is, I'd be I'm, what's actually really interesting to me is to see what happens with the Xbox One X pricing um, and how they clear that stuff out because that console is still a beast of a console. Now, obviously, it's not going to play the, these next generations. Uh, the Xbox games. One X, did you say? Yeah, you can't buy so, it in Australia. It's sold out. It's so, the One X is sold out at the moment. Yeah. It's been sold out for a bit. I actually looked to buy one a month and a bit ago, and I found out that it was sold out all, like in all of Australia, it's sold out. And they're not making any more. The the One X. Well, yes. they didn't state they're not making the One X anymore. They're not making... They didn't say the One X though, did they? Yeah, yeah. They 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 came out. We, we talked about it. It was a few weeks ago. Was it they, the One X or I thought it was the... So they're only going to keep producing the, the One S, is it? Correct. Okay. Yeah. That's so they're simplifying. They're simplifying the whole. This this was a few weeks ago. It was actually an Australian publication, Press Start, um, that found out from Microsoft, and then it was basically confirmed for the whole world that um, you know how they had the three models going. It was like the digital version of the One S, then the One S with the disc, and then the One yeah. X. That they're only going to keep making the One S with the disc model. And then retire all the other lines. So yeah, you oh, can't, you couldn't get a one X for ages in Australia now. Yeah, look, that I, I remember that now, but I'm surprised that you still like. If, if not that I can in Melbourne right now, but if if I wanted to walk into JB and actually buy one that they didn't have one, that seems bizarre. Yeah, it's been me. sold out for ages. Part of it is um, with the pandemic. It's just you know, like you know, a lot of things have been sold out across the board. Okay. All right, well, that's, yeah, that's when, when I guess you put it there with everything with that. That's just, it's still surprising to me, that's all. So, because considering that the One X is, you know, like, I don't almost understand PS4s being sold out just because, you know, they're, they're generally the ones that people want uh, for this generation. But, yeah. Anyway, well, then that scraps my whole thing of being interesting what the, if they drop the price on that and, and try to clear that. So. <laughs> it's already cleared. <laughs> But uh, yeah, in regards to this, um, you know, the launch date, mm. look, I'm not going to pick one up on launch. We've already talked about that. Um, I will probably usually wait until there's a killer title that really gets me over there. Um, yeah. And the thing is, I've just, I've got so many games still on the One X. And when you factor in PC Game Pass as well, and the fact that I don't use my PC more than <laughs> anywhere near enough what I should... Um, for how much that, you paid for it and everything. <laughs> yeah, initially. But um I it's I think for anyone, especially anyone that didn't have an Xbox this generation, um, it almost makes sense to pick up the Series S to then jump into that Game Pass world. But outside of that, um, you know, we talked about it before, there's 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 no real you know, the launch lineups are kind of quite lackluster and so there's nothing to drive me to get one on launch outside of the interest to talk about it you know on on this podcast yeah i know i know yeah and look we're we're fairly the same with that kind of stuff like you don't just buy it because it's out and it's like oh okay you know it's out great you know buy it um but there is a part of me that's like oh i feel like more compelled than normal to actually go yeah i'll go get it which is like crazy um but you know it kind of makes sense i actually just googled um you know like how much the prior consoles were launched at. So the Xbox One in Australia was five, like 600 and the PS4 was 550 So it's actually kind of surprising. Like when I read that, I was like, oh, okay. 
Like the Series really? X is a bit oh. more than I expected. Hmm. What about the, does it have information about the 360 there? Because that's actually the one I'm more interested in. So I did check that as well. Um, so the 360 was 650, and then the core model was 500 in Australian dollars, and the PS3 was like heaps more. Man, it was like where was it? it launched in Australia. Or yeah, it was crazy. I think it was also you know that time wasn't that great because of the exchange rate in Australia as well it was really nasty. Huh, that's surprising to me. I thought the, I thought that the one X, sorry, the one may have been uh, over seven, but that's yeah. So it's actually priced well above what they've previously launched at. Yeah, and maybe the exchange rate was a bit better at that time as well. I haven't, I don't actually have a way to check that right now. Um, but I think at that time the Australian dollar was quite strong. So you know that's always going to be a factor as well. So like at least from a US price, you know it was. 400 the ps4 400 us dollars when they launched that um and then it was like 500 us dollars the xbox one okay so that's in line with it okay yeah so it does seem like the exchange rate was a lot better back then because even when you just look at it really quickly it's like 600 dollars in australia and then it was like 500 dollars in the us so you know like it's actually basically the same price when i just check it now when you think about it right so the series, A, sorry, the series X was fi- like is five hundred US dollars, and the Xbox One was five hundred US dollars at launch. So mm. like it's only more in Australia now because of the exchange rate. Yeah, I it's it's going to be interesting, as you said, if um if Sony kind of announce over the this weekend, for instance, about theirs. Yeah, you you probably think they will, and you know. <sighs> Can't imagine them being more than five hundred for the 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 disc version of the PS five. Now that Microsoft's moved and sort of announced their pricing, just doesn't really make sense. I think it'd be really arrogant to be honest if if Sony released for more than five hundred. Don't you think? Yes. Yeah, sorry, I got distracted. Right when you're when you're talking, I said I'm just going to chuck up on a new site and and see if like as we're talking something gets announced, but. It's what's actually really funny is um in um oh, there's in our I guess uh all right, let me let me let me try to explain this better. Phil Spencer actually had an Xbox One uh Series yeah, S. I know hidden. I saw that. That's cool, like in one of his <laughs> live streams in the back. That's cool. I like that kind of stuff. Where I'm assuming that was done on purpose or it could have been No, it's hundred percent done on purpose. So I, I I love that. I love that. I saw that on Twitter because uh a lot of the Xbox marketing team actually said, Hey, and have you spotted it in other videos they've done? So there's <laughs> other videos Microsoft have done where they've actually had the Xbox uh Series S in the background. Oh, I love that. That is so cool. Yeah. That's- stuff like that's really cool. And yeah. it's you know, like um Digital Foundry, a part of Eurogamer, like I, I have so much time for their technical analysis of games and also just, you know, consoles. Uh, so they actually had the hands-on back in March of, of this year, which just shows how much COVID-19 has interrupted the plans of, of Microsoft and Sony in this launch year. Um, so obviously they, they wanted to probably release all of this stuff, you know, probably around E3 you'd think, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, E3 would have been, you know, (laughs) like we didn't essentially, we didn't have any real um, console uh, hardware updates for ages during that, you know, the middle of the year. 
So E3 would have made 100% sense. Because what they, I think they released the Series X around the E3 time. It was around that time from memory. Um, but it wasn't like everything. So I, I guess, you know, the conclusion of this is you're not going to pre-order the Series X or S. And and honestly, it doesn't make sense for you because you've already got the One X. Yeah, I've, I've never pre-ordered a console ever. Um, and I've never bought a console on launch that I can think of. I've bought some close to launch, but I've never got one on launch. Mm. Yeah, I got, I've got a few on launch. So I've got, you know, I got the Switch. But prior to that, yeah, not too many. Not too many, actually, at launch, when I think about it. It would probably be all the way back in the day with the Nintendo 64 or something like that. That's really going back now. Um, and at this stage, I don't think I'm pre-ordering either. I want to know more about the Series S. So, you know, to be honest, I might wait until it actually launches or, you know, you get real hardcore technical folk like Digital Foundry to get it in their hands and you run it through their benchmarks to see, like, to your point before, which is like, you know, how do the games run on the Series X versus S and are you taking a really huge hit if you're running in 1080p on on the Series S? And if you're not, then, you know, maybe, I don't know, maybe I'll think about getting it, maybe next year. We'll, We'll see how we go. Yeah, to me, as I said, frame rate is the key. You know, if same if yeah. if, if we start to see Series S games running at thirty frames, um, like the the as I guess the generally accepted frame rate for those versions, then to me, then that's kind of that's not good enough. As in that that's worth spending the extra to get the X. So. And Nintendo this week, another surprise announcement. They unveiled the new Hyrule Warriors sequel uh, for the Switch, which is also a story prequel to The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. So it's called Hyrule Warriors Age of Calamity. It's releasing the 20th of November, which it seems to be. And, you know, some people are talking about um, that there might be another Nintendo Direct, rah, rah, rah. But to me, this seems like this is going to be Nintendo's November game, which, you know, given that they released... Mario, Super Mario 3D All-Stars in September. They could have done that in November. feels like this game is the November game for Nintendo. Um, and it's developed, again, by Koei Tecmo. I actually did a real quick deep dive uh, a few days ago on the on the Dynasty Warriors series. And the, I never knew that... The, the Musou fir- games. Well, yeah, but I never knew that the first game was a fighting game. It wasn't a, like, a crowd yeah. hack and slash. It was literally like a... Kind of like a like a Tekken or a yeah. you know Soul Calibur style game, and then the second game was more like what the games became. Um, and the cool thing about this for you know fans of Breath of the Wild, which is one of us, uh, that this game is actually set a hundred years before the events of Breath of the Wild. So that game is constantly referring back to those hundred years and all the things that have happened, and that's actually the setting of this game. It features two-player co-op, um, and you get to play as the champions as well. So the four champions in in Breath of the Wild, as they're referred to, uh, from the hundred years prior, and yeah, just like looks like such a cool game. Like I've played a little bit of the Warriors game, so I've played High High Rule Warriors on uh, the Wii U, and I actually really liked it. I was really close to getting it on the Switch, and unfortunately, it's really hard to get it on the Switch unless you get it digitally now. So it's kind of like turned me off because I was looking for a physical copy of it, but it's just kind of like not available. Um, but yeah, like what, what did you think about this game? Look, this is this is a really smart move by everyone involved. Um, 
it not only, I guess, kind of sets people appetite a little, uh, a little bit for, you know, the whole Breath of the Wild sequel. Um, it kind of fills, fills the gap nicely there. It also obviously provides them a holiday title, which outside of the Mario All-Stars uh, compilation, they didn't really have uh, mm. you know, a big a big new title to kind of uh, push for the holidays that, that I can think of off the top of my, off my head. Um, it does look very nice. I've always been very interested in the, you know, the, the Warriors games. I did play, the first one I played was Dynasty Warriors 2 on the PlayStation 2. And I just remember... It kind of blew my mind at the time, just seeing how many enemies there were and, you know, just mm. like you're killing hundreds of enemies within like a minute and stuff like that. It's pretty crazy. Um, and then they just went absolutely crazy with that series, you know, the Gundam, Fist of the North Star. Like there's, oh, there's, all the spin-offs. Yeah. Oh, well, it's just there's so many of them. It's it's just insane. The Samurai Warriors. Well, because there's, there's so many Warriors Dynasty and... Warrior games. They're, they're up to like Dynasty Warriors 9. Yeah, and then you got the Samurai Warriors games and the ones where they combine the two and then, you know, it's it I think, you know, I think for people that love love those games, this this is awesome news and it's probably I reckon it will actually get a lot of people into the series because yeah. um while they're obviously with the horror warriors games, I think the fact that this is Breath of the Wild is going to really get people probably to to bite more than they probably ever would have. I kind of like the fact that it's very focused on a specific, um, you know, world, Zelda world. Although I do like the idea of the other Hyrule Warriors games having like Gant and Tingle and all these crazy mm. characters in them. But it's, uh, yeah, I I don't know. How, obviously, they've been working on this for a while because it's due for release pretty soon. Uh, it's kind of crazy this didn't get leaked in any way that I could remember. It was no, just it kind of... definitely didn't get leaked. It de- like there crazy. wasn't even a murmuring of this game. Yeah, it just kind of came out of nowhere. Yeah, because normally you'd even get, you know, that one person on 4chan or Twitter or something going, hey, they're releasing a prequel. It's going to be, you know, using the Dynasty Warriors engine, blah, blah, blah. And everyone's like, oh, who are you, Twitter egg? Um, But yeah, this one, like, there's nothing you can point back to. Nothing on uh, Reset Era or anything like that to to sort of go, yep, someone had had picked this. Yeah. yeah, I, I think you're right. Like, I love Breath of the Wild so much. And I think there's one thing that we've we've got to be conscious of, that even a company as old as Nintendo, they're using a lot of the data and the analytics that they get from their games. Um, so all of the publishers and all of the major platforms, they, you know, like the reality is they understand exactly how much you're playing, you know, when you jump in, how quickly you jump out, you know, and they even mentioned it in this, you know, uh, release that they thanked the players because they said that there's still a significant amount of people that are playing Breath of the Wild. So, you know, and you see this with games like Skyrim, you know, where Bethesda have said, you know, there's millions of people that play Skyrim even today. Um, So for them, you know, I I think you're right. Like, and, uh, you know, this might have taken 18 months to make this game. I don't know. Because the whole engine, they already have it. Because they released the the definitive edition of Hyrule Warriors on the Switch, so they'd have that game, and I wouldn't expect it to be upgraded from an engine point of view. And they just really got to get the the assets and the setting and everything like that in this game. So you know, I really feel like that this could have been like two years max to to make this game. Um, so given the success of Breath of the Wild, it's such a smart decision. Because honestly, I. 
you know, Fire Emblem, you know, now I've become a big fan of that series. And, you know, even with the Hyrule Warriors, the first game, you know, I was close to getting those games, but given how much I love Breath of the Wild and that it does actually have the story and there's elements that we haven't seen of the story that it's very clear that it will be in this game. And I look at this as a story prequel. I don't look at it as an actual prequel to Breath of the Wild, even though I think they're positioning it as that. Um, uh, you know, I'll probably get to pull the trigger and get this game. And I actually am looking forward to playing it. And then again, it's probably going to get me to go back to the Wii U and play uh, Hyrule Warriors on that. So yeah, no, really, really cool. And you know, the other thing that we should point out, and I actually think this is big news, uh, just given that Breath of the Wild came out in March 2017. And I think by all reports, it was finished well before then. And they were delaying until the Switch launched to actually launch the game. It, it seems like the actual, you know, Breath of the Wild 2 is taking a lot longer than they expected to make. Because I was kind of almost expecting it might be releasing early next year or even optimistically this year as their big November game. Um, but just given the update that they gave and they sort of said it's taking longer to sort of, you know, match the first game and that there'll be more news about it later, I almost can't even see it as being a 2021 game. Like, did, did you have a gut feel on that or are you just not sure? I'm not sure. I just hope in that amount of time they've managed to fix the frame rate. <laughs> well, you know, and yeah, you know how I hate rumors now, you know, and I wouldn't classify this as a rumor because it is coming from Bloomberg. Um, but, you know, Bloomberg have been wrong many, many times. Bloomberg came out and said that, you know, there would be a, you know, Metroid Prime trilogy re-release on the Switch. They've said a lot of things. They said... There's going to be a new Switch this year, which never happened. Um, but, you know, they do have a lot of industry sources in Asia. And, you know, they're reporting that, you know, that Nintendo are actually talking to publishers and developers around preparing for a 4K Switch, which I just don't get. Like, I don't know how that would be possible unless it's 4K only on the docked version. And there's some actual sort of graphics inside of the dock as well. So, you know what, like, honestly, I'd be all up for them releasing a revised Switch that, you know, you have, you know, Breath of the Wild 2 and it's running at like at least a locked 30 frames a second on that. And I'd, I'd happily upgrade to that if, if they could get there. Because, you know, I think you're right. That's probably the one downfall to Breath of the Wild for me that, you know, I've played hundreds of hours of that game and man, it does get choppy at times. It does get choppy. Yeah, and like we've we've talked we've teased enough my my experiences with Breath of the Wild, but <laughs> I the one thing that disappointed me the most in my early time of that game was Kakariko Village just and, oh, and I got I got to so experience bad. it on both the Wii U version and the Switch version and it it takes you out of it way more than any other Zelda. Like the other Zelda games, especially on 64, like didn't have great frame rates, but they, it was it was such a sudden shift because the rest of the game, like when you're just exploring the open world, it's kind of, it's nice. It's nice and smooth, consistent. When you get, when you enter that Kakariko village, it just, it it's, it's such a stark contrast and yeah, it took me well out of it. So I'm, I'm hopeful that, you know, the sequel won't have those problems. Um, I imagine Horror Warriors itself um, is probably a nice move engine on that regard as well, but I'm not sure about that. But um, oh, it runs a lot better on the Switch. It was a bit chugging on the Wii U. 
Okay. Yeah. And so I I hope that they kind of do spend a bit of time on that um, to just make it a bit of a nicer experience in that regard. So. Yeah. So that was definitely one of the worst parts of the game. Did you play the launch version of Breath of the Wild or was that like kind of after they've patched it? Because they actually did patch it to improve it a bit. So I got, um, well, it definitely wasn't the launch version, the Switch version. Um, so no, I, I think I picked up the Switch version probably about maybe four months after it came out. Oh, wow. So if you went back and played the launch version, you probably would have put it down. It was like, if I don't think it actually did, but it felt like single frames at, well, at certain I, times. I played the, the Wii U launch version. So I imagine that would have, if not, oh, that would have yeah, been worse. Yeah. 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 So I got to experience that at least. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah, so no, smart move by Nintendo, I think. Very, very smart move. Definitely getting this. I'm guessing you're probably going to skip it. Mm, I'll see. Um, I definitely... No, like, eventually I might play it, but I need to play through Breath of the Wild properly first. (laughs) So, and which I still plan on doing. We need to lock in a segment. We need to lock in segments. Can we, can we, can we, maybe we can make this fun, you know, because I feel like that's one game you almost don't want to play, but you will play. Maybe there's a game that's the equivalent for me, like Assassin's Creed or something like that, where it's just like, I would honestly never play Assassin's Creed if it wasn't you making me, or like as a trade, or I don't know, something like that. See, I, if you're talking about the first one, I'd understand, but the later ones are great games, so. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, look, I don't know. I don't, I don't think, the thing is, I don't think there's an equivalent because you know how much I do love the Zelda series. So yeah, yeah. it's it's kind of like, I can't think of a series that you love so much, but there's a one particular game that just rubbed you the wrong way so much in that series, you know, that you then mm. didn't actually, you bought it twice full price <laughs> on different consoles and you kind of got almost the same way into it, probably about, you know, like eight, 10 hours into each one. Um, but I, yeah, I'll, um, I'll refrain from sharing my thoughts on, um, that experience right now so well you know the only thing i can think because this is very infamous for me is um i don't know it's not a video game it's a book uh, lord lord of the rings like i would have read that book if i had you know the amount of pages i've read i would have read the book about two times i've tried to start that book so many all that series so many times i've read i think the first two books like the two towers as well and then stopped and then started again from the start again. Like I've, I've tried to read it like three or four times. I just, I hate, like, I don't hate it. That's the wrong way to say it. I just find it really boring, those books. And I've really tried to read them because I want to criticize them more. I want to be able to say, I've read the whole thing and it's not that good, <laughs> which is See, terrible. I had the impression that you read only maybe the first like five chapters. No, dude. no, uh, no. Then I was going to say, and then you probably thought like Tom Bombadil was like a main character or something. Oh, the entire god, <laughs> Tom Bombadil, bro! Like, oh god, I don't know. It's just not my speed. That book, you know, it's not my speed. So I'm more of a, you know, Game of Thrones. I think I'd get into that series, like the books, more than yeah, Lord of the Rings. It's just yeah. Anyway, we're going way off course right now. <laughs> Uh, so the other uh you know interesting news and we'd had forecasted this for a while uh the ubisoft forward so that actually happened our time just a few days ago uh do you want to run through some of the things that you thought were interesting in this and then i'll chime in uh and probably we'll do it that way 
Yeah, so they actually had quite a, a handful of cool little announcements. Um, mm. And then just a bunch of updates and games that honestly I don't care about, but they would have been of interest to some people. So they this was their chance to show off Immortals Phoenix Rising, um, <laughs> former former gods uh, and monsters. Gods and monsters, yeah. The, it's weird. The more that I've seen that name, the less I hate it, but it's still a bad name. Um, but, but it's I, still not as good as Gods and Monsters. And just seeing the trailer... I still don't get the name change. They didn't explain it. I wonder well, if I wonder if uh, like the SEO on Gods and Monsters was pretty like rough to to get. So they like exactly. we need to do something. You know, no, but if they if they were honest and they just said you know people won't find this game. We just we sort of realized people won't find this game as if it's called Gods and Monsters. To be honest, I'd be like fine with that as the explanation. But, but no, no, especially in the video game industry, no one ever actually. Exp- says that no one ever actually go explains why they do stuff like that but so they had a a, a very cinematic trailer and then um uh, i guess a bunch of gameplay and gave a, a lot closer look into the game um the trailer had a weird music choice it had james brown on it but yeah i know what the yeah hell? it wasn't it wasn't bad it just felt kind of odd um no it, it was not good like you know how the other week i was saying I feel like game trailers these days are like 10 out of 10. This was not a 10 out of 10 trailer. No, I think they what they probably wanted to do is they wanted to kind of separate it a bit from like, you know, maybe the maybe the previous version and try to set a different tone. One thing I'll say about this game is so I'm I'm super pumped to try this game. I think mm. it looks amazing. Um but the the art style, especially on uh, the main character, I know it's a. But the, the weird part is that it's a customizable character. But the I guess the version they used for the trailer, I don't know. There's just so many close ups in the face, and it just looked a bit like fake Disney ish. Um, it looked like Fortnite to me. Yeah, but the actual game itself. So what I'm actually going to do is um, just. Oh, bugger! I can't. I had it open, but I'm not going to worry about it. So the look of this game is very similar to. Um, Assassin's Creed Odyssey, the DLC Fate of Atlantis, specifically uh, in the area where, you know, it's all lush, green, purplish, you know, colours mm. and stuff, looks very similar to the Fields of Elysium section in Odyssey that I, I reckon that they, when they designed that, they said, we've actually got to take this and make a full game out of this kind of look and, and feel um, because it's so similar. And similar to that, uh, to uh immortals i'm like oh, what's the name again immortals um each dlc takes you like it goes through fields of elysium then it takes you to um hades and takes you to atlantis so it's taking you through the domains of the different gods and with all the mythological creatures so it's mm. it's so strange it's like it's the same game but with like uh, a touch of zelda to it so it's well, like it's but kind just on of the zelda like- thing you, you've heard what the developers have said that that it was a massive inf- inspiration breath of the wild and they've kind of almost basically said, you know, yes, it is a bit of a, you know, how, how do you say it's like, you know, that kind of famous quote around, you know, good artists copy and great artists steal. It's like, like to me, when I was looking at some certain gameplay footage, it was like, wow, this looks like Breath of the Wild with Fortnite characters. Yeah, but some of that stuff also is very Assassin's Creed. So, sure, like, even that's true. Things- that is true. Yeah. Even things like the climbing and stuff, if anyone looks at the gun and goes, oh, it's like Breath of the Wild climbing, well, that's Assassin's Creed. That's that's to me where the, a lot of that stuff has come from, even yeah. the puzzles and things. But So I'm just going to actually um, see if I can copy this because I don't think you probably would have ever seen what this DLC looks like. Mm. Um, 
Okay, so if I just, I'll just put this in the chat for you. There you go. Um, yep. So yeah, when you look at that, that's probably not the best shot of it, but. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. I get what you're saying. It's oh, less cartoony. 100%. It's less cartoony, yeah. but yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's 100% like that kind of real, like crazy mm. mythological, like waterfalls falling off giant mountains and, yeah. and lots yeah, of lush colors. Yeah. And uh, that was my one of my absolute favorite parts of Odyssey is was playing throughout DLC. So that's actually one of the reasons why I'm most keen from it is that it's got that kind of, you know, that, that heritage to it. I do hope that the whole tone and when they're showing uh, like the comedy in it, none of that appeals to me. I just like the idea of flying around this, this cool world um, and, you know, just doing some cool puzzles and stuff. So, Well, you know, the thing for me was that um, I, the trailer really did not sell me at all. You know, and I'm a huge fan of Breath of the Wild. I just, I don't know, the trailer and it's just strange comedic choices, timing, just nothing really compelled me about it. I did see some other people who actually had hands-on demo versions, like one and a half or two and a half hours worth. And, you know, very positive response from it, from all the people that were playing it. Sort of like, hey, I just want to keep playing it. Like, it was actually really fun to, to actually play. So... You know, I I feel like they have not sold this game well to someone like me. Other people that have actually spoken about it have actually said it's pretty good. And it kind of reminds me of Control, where Control, just the way they marketed that game, to me, wasn't very good at all. But just hearing people's perspectives on it, I'm like, I think this would be like a game I'd love. It just didn't, they didn't package it in a way that would appeal to people that may enjoy it. I think what you'll see though is the this game will be everywhere um, because Ubisoft will be they will put a huge marketing budget behind it and that's what Control didn't have. Control yeah, didn't have that that giant awareness campaign um, just because they didn't have they wouldn't have had the money to do it. Um, yeah, fair enough. I I agree that you know the choice of the, the the music in the trailer specifically wasn't great, but I think the trailer itself was fine for me. Um, it. But it's more so just you know my love of of I guess the, the heritage of you know the you know it's combining the Zelda and probably the parts of Zelda I like, mm. <laughs> Breath of the Wild specifically, um, with <laughs> the parts that you know that I love of, of Assassin's Creed. So that's why I'm really keen to try. And it's really interesting. It's essentially coming out in everything. Um, which yeah, on I the Switch realize. as well, right? Yeah, um, mm. and it's really weird. They had a huge push for Stadia with this. Like Stadia is getting a <laughs> yeah, getting that's a, right, an exclusive demo that's apparently constructed just for Stadia. Dude, um, I was I was so glad you mentioned that because when I saw Phil Harrison pop in, I'm like, oh, bro, bro, <laughs> and yeah, I totally actually forgot about it until you just mentioned it. Then that's so funny. But they've got to try, you know. Like the, it's the, so dead, it's, though. It's so dead. I know, I know. But at this point, like, they've either got to, got to try or they just yeah. give up, you know. Yeah, true, true. I, I totally agree. It's just, it is dead. Let's be real. Yeah. Um. All right. So the another cool announcement was uh, Prince of Persia Sands of Time remake. So I'm a huge fan of, I guess, the, uh, what let's say, the PS2 era um, Prince of Persia games. So... Sands of Time, Worry Within, and Two Thrones. I specifically love mm. uh, Worry Within and Two Thrones, honestly, probably more, which is probably the opposite of most people. But that's because I played them a lot more. So um, with Sands of Time, um, it's really interesting. This this trailer had a very negative reaction um, to a lot of people saying, oh, the remake needs a remake. Oh, it looks worse than the original. If you actually look at what the first Sands of Time looked like, 
it was it honestly actually looked kind of rough back in the day when it came out. It wasn't the best looking game at the time because they focused a lot more on the gameplay and like the time rewinding mechanics that make it look like the best game at the time. Um, mm. I won't say I love the art direction of the remake in any way, but it certainly does look a lot better than the original. Um, I'm keen to try it. I hope that. Uh, I'm keen to see if they actually kind of clean up the gameplay a little bit because um, while Sands of Time was good, the the series definitely refined things. Even um, I think it's the Forbidden Sands or whatever the one that was on 360 that introduced some cool elements. I'm not saying to introduce things, but to maybe just clean up the the animations and that. Mm. And I would honestly hope if this sells well, I hope it gets them to actually you know really make a new one because Prince Persia is one of my favorite series um, and. That's going back all the way to playing the original on my Amstrad and stuff like that. So this is pretty cool. That's, that's a real retro. Yeah, yeah, look, I, you know, I feel like, geez, I'm so off the pace with how people view this stuff. Because I saw the the um, the um trailer for it and I was like, mm. yeah, like I wasn't like blown away, let's say, by the way it looked. But I kind of just thought, yeah, serviceable, it's fine. And then, yeah, I saw everyone's reaction to it. And I was like, wow, I just don't, you know, have the same type of sensitivity that people do about this stuff. Like, people really were, like, fired up about how this game looked. Yeah, they definitely could have... I think they could have done a lot better with the specifically, the, like, the faces and the and the character models and that. But yeah, the face is probably the worst, eh? Hey? Yeah, and that's that's what people are probably focusing on a lot of, when, especially when they show a lot of the cutscenes. Um, so there's still time to probably fix that up. But as a first impression, um, you know, I can understand why some people were immediately like, oh, wait a second. But to go that far to say that it looked worse in the original... Um, no, that's just silly. It's not like you just have to look at screenshots, and I'm sure there's comparison videos out there by now about it. But um, but yeah, so that was cool. We had another announcement that was kind of teased a couple of weeks ago um, of Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, uh, the game yes. getting a complete edition. Um, that's coming holiday 2020 for essentially PC. Oh, by the way, sorry, the Sands of Time remake is only on PC, PS4, and Xbox One, so it hasn't been announced for next gen yet. That'll probably mm. get get there eventually but for scott pilgrim that's on pc ps4 xbox one switch and stadia i i actually own the scott pilgrim on 360 and it was it was a really really cool game i didn't get far enough into it to see a lot of the cool stuff that showed in the trailer though i'm like man i should have actually given this game a much bigger shot i loved the i never read the you know the the comics but i loved the film mm. um this is cool. It's I think this is a this is just a huge one for the fans. It's not going to probably set the world on fire from a you know a money standpoint for for Ubisoft. So I think this is just one that you know that is just going to just be a nostalgia trip for a lot of people. So yeah, and I think like when I saw this getting announced, I was like, oh my god, this is going to you know be the one that blows up, just because so many people were upset when this game disappeared off the store a few years ago. And, you know, hadn't appeared on any storefronts for a long, long period of time. Um, so, yeah, like, it, it's pretty cool. Um, again, I think we mentioned this with Battletoads, right? Like, you know, beat-em-ups, it's just, yeah, it's kind of not a genre that I'm, like, super appealed to play. But if there's one of them that I might play, it might be something like this. Again, you know, something like this was on Game Pass for a period of time. It's such a good kind of place to play it, right? Um, just because it's probably a you know, a few hours type of experience, what the game would be four or five hours, you reckon, at most? 
Uh, I'm not sure. Honestly, I have no mm. idea. Um, it. I don't think it was a super short experience, but I think this is a, a great fit for the Switch. Um, I think this mm. would look really good on in handheld mode, um, as long as it still runs okay. We know sometimes we're surprised when games don't run great, but um, it's yeah. I I think you know if this ends up you know being decently priced, maybe I'll actually pick it up to play it on the Switch. Yeah, I just checked. It was about four hours on how long to beat, like kind of main story. So yeah, like that's what I'd expect from a beat 'em up. You wouldn't want to have something a lot longer than that. That's just kind of too drawn out, I think. And the title that actually surprised me the most was a brand new IP that they announced, which is called Riders Republic. So it's essentially a big multiplayer kind of extreme sports game. They show a whole bunch of people riding down, uh, you know, I guess like national parks in the US, um, in like on bikes, on on snowboards, because there's like snowy areas as well, on wingsuits. And the game itself looks really, really cool. But the tone of the trailer was just horrible to me. Um, so it's kind of like I was so split. The scene, especially the footage of whether or not, you know, that's ex- exactly how you see it in the game if, of the mountain bike rider going down like the rocky parts and 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 uh, the terrain. That looks really, really cool. I, I'm looking forward to actually trying this um, eventually. But the whole, oh, let's super colorful anarchistic kind of characters with like, you know, like a panda suit, but he's got like crossed out the eyes with spray paint. That stuff to me, like it's like some of the watchdog stuff. It just doesn't hit to me. It's like trying to be cool. And it just kind of like feels so forced, but I think the game itself looks really cool. And I think it has the potential to be a a huge hit on, you know, on Twitch and things like that. Um, So I'm looking forward to seeing more of it. It's actually so interesting you're saying that because I feel like this game has been slammed by so many people and quite honestly, like my impression of it when I was looking at the the Ubisoft forward and, you know, watch the whole thing, like I was just kind of like, who's this game for? I didn't really get it. Like, you know, I actually have friends who are into these extreme sports and like there's reasons why you want to do it together as mates and stuff like that. I don't really see the appeal of playing a game like this that's kind of like not tech like competitive but it's kind of collaborative or something online in a massive sort of multiplayer sort of arena and i think that's what they're really trying to push in this game like i think you know i should have checked this but i think it was like either 50 or 60 people simultaneously that's what they're sort of talking about who who are playing any track it just you know the trailer didn't hit it for me the game concept i'm just like i don't get it i don't really like it's definitely doesn't appeal to me this game um for me it's like i see elements of um and this is like later on i didn't like the initial footage but later as they start to show more of it i actually like this almost like if they what i'm interested to see what the single player element or like what that stuff is because there's actually elements of skate that reminded me of and how skate did it uh, online stuff where you essentially can have four people doing online challenges with each other and things like that. Um, so I'm, I was a big fan of that. It was really fun. And that's what I'm saying. Like there's half of me that hated the way they actually presented it, but then there's another part where they actually showed what the game footage looks like that I'm like, that actually looks cool to me. Like it, I'm actually interested in trying it out, but I think it's, 
it depends on really what they put the focus in. If it's all about the multiplayer, like 90% of it, then then maybe not. But if there's, you know, there's there's a cool game there just to experience, you know, whether or not it's by yourself or with other people, then I'm keen to try it. I think it's, mm. it's you know, I, I think some people are probably looking for, um, you know, a new style of game like this, in this style, I should say. And I don't, as I said, I don't think the tone of the trailer was very good, but I think the game yeah. itself has potential. Yeah. Yeah, um, you know, like, remember when we were chatting about Fall Guys and sort of just going, oh, yeah, look at this game, you know, let's see how this goes. It's really going to rely on, you know, getting people to it quickly. And, you know, that game blew up. Like, you know, we certainly didn't at all predict that or even come close to predicting but that. We, we also didn't know at the time it was going to be on PS Plus. Well, yeah, yeah, yes. And that's like, in a, in a way, just to defend ourselves... Um, you know, we, we did kind of call out from a perspective of like, you need to get people on these games really, really quickly. So I think strategically, very, very smart decision that those, that, that team took to actually make it free. And, you know, they've even published after the fact that it's had millions of, of purchases on Steam, you know, and when it eventually comes out to the Switch, which it will, let's, let's be real. Um, you know, it's going to have a stack more of people buying it and it's going to have that second wind, uh, when it comes out on Switch, and I'm sure they'll they'll try to align that with uh, you know season three or something like that of uh, Four Guys. But yeah, this game, you you know, you're probably right. Like there is an element where it will live and die by you know how well it does on Twitch or getting just people on it or sort of being a really unique and cool experience. And you know, I still think that one thing that Stadia did talk about. And I'd love to see them. I, I really do genuinely believe you could still do this on next gen at least. Is you know, if I'm a streamer, like, and let's just say that we started streaming, and you know, our audience can join our games, and it's like really easy to jump in and jump out of like our sort of lobby, and it's all sort of integrated into Twitch. Like that to me, that's really appealing. Like I think that that's really really cool. Like, and it actually helps really small streamers as well. You know, people who do have the dozens or maybe hundred at most of viewers, people watching, you know, a game like this, if you can get like everyone into it, it, it creates that, you know, unique selling proposition, you know, that folks would look at it and go, Hey, you know what? This is a pretty cool, like experience and like our little sort of niche experience that we could have with this game. Um, but, I mean, it's coming out in early 2021. Um, so yeah, it seems like you know we'll we'll find out then how how well it does. Yeah, I just I just want to ride down like a rocky, crazy, dangerous mountain first person on a BMX bike, <laughs> whatever they're doing. <laughs> no, it probably wasn't BMX. Like that footage. I what's weird? I saw that footage before I saw anything else about the game because I just happened to wake up in the middle of the night and see that this event was happening, and I just chucked it on, and it, it was them going down that mountain. I'm like, what the hell is this game? And then I went back to sleep and then saw the whole intro to it. So I think that actually changed my take on this game a lot because I saw that first. So anyway, it's it's cool. It's also coming to essentially everything current gen and next gen except for Switch, um, which makes sense. It looks like it's a game that needs a lot of horsepower. So um, It's also multiplayer, right? So... Yeah. Like, like, there is a serious (laughs) problem with the Switch, man. It's like... The Wi-Fi unit as well is just like one of the worst, you know, Wi-Fi cards that is integrated with the Switch. So, yeah, you get a bunch of Switch people on and who knows what's going to happen. Unless they have like direct servers, which I think they would, Ubisoft. So, 
you know, maybe it's just the Switch people being laggy and, you know, everyone else sort of operating fine. So the last thing I wanted to call out was, um, so they had another trailer for Watchdog Legion, right? <laughs> can, can, I don't know if you're about to say the same thing as me. Can I, can I say one thing that I was going to... Go ahead. So what I thought about. Like, so for me... When I was, I, I was actually really, <laughs> really, because I knew that they'd already announced that they're going to talk about Watch Dogs Legion, and I was like so looking forward to just how are they going to position <laughs> the last trailer and the grandmas and everything, and I was, I was that's all I was thinking about watching it. I must admit, I don't even really remember what they were talking about. I was just thinking about it all the way through. So sorry, what were you gonna say? Yeah, so I was the same. I had okay. I had my eye keen on this. I'm like, okay. Yeah, I yeah. even had a I had a counter of a I was gonna do a grandma counter, right? Oh, that's awesome. So they open it up and they have um honestly uh, a rapper that I don't know who he is, a Stormzy or something like that. You don't know um, Stormzy? Wow. No, I don't no idea. You boomer. Um, but the thing is like that that's I think that's cool for people that that maybe love Stormzy. I felt like it was like I'm like, oh my god, they've taken a nut this is like a third approach to how they're enjoying this game and suddenly it's got <laughs> like this thing to it. But then they actually showed an actual trailer that I actually thought was probably the best I've done in a while about it. Um there was only one grandma count. There was a grandpa as well. So but I didn't count that. I'm like there was one grandma. So they well, kind well, of scaled but, back a bit on that. But can we side. can we just say that? Can we just say that? Because don't you feel like they actually played into it? Because they actually said grandparent? Did you hear them say that in the trailer? Yeah, grandparents, but they did show the grandma later. So. No, no, but they paused. They paused. <laughs> it's like they're going to say grandma like they did last time, but then they kind of went grandparent. Uh, and I feel I like that that's to me, it was a nod to what like, the last trailer. Are they just going to say about grandmas all the time? But I think this was, was a much better look than the last time. Um, and then they announced that Aiden Pierce, the character from at least number one, I don't think he was the main character number two, but uh, I could be wrong on that. Shows how much I've actually played those games. But so they showed him with his, you know, iconic hat, as as uh, as everyone knows. But that he's post-launch content, story content. I'm like, it. I don't think you won enough people over yet to suddenly start spooking your <laughs> post-launch what I assume is going to be paid DLC. I could be wrong that it's paid, but it kind of came across oh, that way. It'd be paid. Yeah. So I I was like, hmm, maybe, maybe wait and maybe do that its own thing. But overall, I think for the Ubisoft Forward event, um, some cool stuff. There was also some pre-show stuff we can get into. They, they're doing a Far Cry VR. They're doing a game called A Game of Space, which is a space exploration game. And they had a bunch of updates for Rainbow Six, For Honor, and Hyperscape and stuff. So overall, um, a pretty pretty good event with some cool announcements. Yeah, like I think overall, it didn't have the banger. Like uh, maybe Scott Pilgrim, like probably was the same level as Far Cry Six as the last one. So maybe it's about the same. To be honest, oh, given I don't the think buzz. that's anywhere near that level, Scott Pilgrim. Oh, but I'm talking about the buzz. Like I've I've seen so much activity and noise about Scott Pilgrim. Like I, to me, I, kind of of the same level of Far Cry Six. I saw more about the Sense of Time remake myself, but oh, okay, interesting. Yeah, um, and you know, for me, the Far Cry VR thing was really, really interesting. So it's like a physical live game. Like, so I don't know what these things are. It's, it what was it called? Zero zero latency or zero lag or something like that. It's like these centers where you can play these VR games, like in person. 
Well, honestly, I didn't actually watch the pre-show, so I'm just going off an article that I read about Far Cry VR, so I didn't know that was a maybe... So that's not an actual title that you purchase? Doesn't look like it from what I saw. It was like, you know, it's a game that you need to go... You know, it's similar to uh, the Mario Kart uh, arcade games, you know, so they're actually sort of like experiences that you have to either have the machines or, you know, actually go to certain places where they play them. That's what my understanding is with Far Cry VR. Okay, cool. Mm, but it looked really cool. And I mean, they didn't show the game itself, really. It was kind of more of a, a trailer for it. Like, I actually wanted to see what it looked like, like the people playing it in real life, and then also just what it looked like with the headset on. And for me, the other one that I just wanted to shout out here was, uh, you know, because I, I'm always really interested in getting into Rainbow Six Siege. And then this whole World Cup thing, which is, I just, I love these World Cup ideas for these esports, like I think it's such a smart way to get people into it. Um, and you know, Rocket League next year, I believe they've delayed it to you. I mean, this year it was meant to happen. They've got the World Cup planned as well, um, where you know you can compete in Australia and actually try to be like one of the folks who are on the team. So I don't know. I think it's a really cool way to get people into it, where you know you sort of get behind your country and it, you know you naturally have a team to root for uh and whether you go well or not like obviously like the big teams and the big countries are going to dominate you know the south koreas and the usas and things like that but yeah i think it's it's a really cool concept i really like it i think it's a really cool thing that they're doing and i really like how you know with rainbow six siege in general they sort of said hey this is a 10-year game and you know we're halfway through that now and we're fully committed to that and you know the next season that's releasing is even bigger um, so, you know, I think they've really backed up the talk, uh, with that game and it's a very, very successful game. And, you know, to be honest with that game, given how much DLC and season passes and stuff like that, I feel like, you know, it's not going to be far away. Maybe when the next gen launches, when that game goes free to play. And I think at that stage, that's probably when I'll jump into it and try it out a bit more. Did you see the pretentious ass trailer that led into that whole world <laughs> cup thing? Oh, you didn't like it? I didn't mind it. I thought it was no, all right. The trailer was fine, but the fact that it was for a game where you're going around shooting people was the most, like, tone-deaf thing for me. Because it's got, like, <laughs> okay, oh, people, people partying culture and different countries and, like, oh, people getting, like, you know, their flag, you know, like, put into their hair and, like, all this <laughs> stuff. And suddenly you start seeing this icon with a bloody gun in it. And I'm like... <laughs> the trailer it was shot really well like it was a cool it thing really but i'm like good. it felt like look i don't think anyone any product or whatever could probably have like probably lived up to what they were trying to set the scene there but it felt like i'm like wait a second like, for rainbow six siege that whole thing was to to like leading to a game where you're going around killing people and i know it's more than that like it's a cool game don't get me wrong i've got nothing against the game i just felt like <laughs> people celebrating like that for, and then they show this icon for gun in it just felt so like what like, I get so, what you're saying. it felt, it felt saying. honestly like a like if you were to do that for a soccer game or something i honestly thought i was like wait is this some kind of soccer game because it felt like that it had the very you know um you know it just kind of had that feeling to me and then i'm like wow that just felt so like not what I was expecting and completely took me out of it. And I'm like, what the hell? Anyway. It's funny you say that. It's funny you say that because I genuinely thought that they were going to announce like a brand new 
soccer game. Because, you know, you've got the two big yeah. soccer franchises out there, um, Pro Evolution and FIFA, obviously. And just given the whole world thing, like I just assumed that they would be making like a a soccer game where it's all about teams from different countries competing against each other and very carefully stepping away from anything called the World Cup or anything like that. Just because, you know, they wouldn't be able to get the licenses otherwise. Um, and yeah, when it, whenever it came about Rainbow Six Siege, <laughs> I did laugh because I was like, oh, that's weird. Like it kind of, I don't know, I was kind of expecting a soccer game and then it went into Rainbow Six Siege and I was like, oh, okay. And then when they were talking about it, I was like, oh, this is so cool. I really oh, like it. The stuff after I have no problem with, it's that like cinematic fight leading up to it just felt so like, wow. Like I, there's no game that I think, you know, video game I think would probably have fit there anyway like i probably would have had that feeling about most stuff it's i think maybe rocket league rocket league given that that's not violent at all i know rocket league would have been a much better fit but um i obviously that's not them but it's like man just just when i saw that icon with the gun i just couldn't believe it anyway that's (laughs) that's enough talk about um rainbow six world cup i think yeah so that was that was the only other thing that i sort of looked at you know there's uh, they're always trying to spruke uh, Hyperscape. I just feel like that that game is dead. Like, there's a few games that have come out like that, and they're just if you they, if they don't hit it off, they just don't last. I don't think it's dead compared to something like Rocket Arena. Dead. Oh yeah, that's really dead. <laughs> like, I, I don't think it's like that. I think yeah, it's agree. It hasn't obviously hit you know like big, but I think that they're doing the right stuff with you know just you know just. They need to they need to include it in these things because they need to keep that um, you know generating that awareness for it, and you know it could be let's say in three months it could be dead. I don't know, but um, well, I think it's would you still, agree, still got enough people playing. Right? So. Would you agree with maybe stage one cancer? They've caught it early, still high chance of recovery, but it's, it's not great. I think I think they're at the point where you know you you're wondering if you should, you should go get a lump checked. <laughs> okay yeah okay cool yeah i agree with that whereas rocket arena that has got stage three or stage four cancer yes. it is dire it is dire <laughs> like i think it's free to play now <laughs> like they've just gone like stuff it all you right know, we can't even sell this game so talking about dire is the next uh item on our on our news which is when i saw this article it kind of made my heart sink a lot so lords of the fallen um, so it's a game that came out um, in 2014. Essentially, it's a Souls-like. It, it was probably the big first Souls clone that um, uh, you know someone put out at the time, and it got you know mixed reception. But some people love it. I actually really very fond of the game. Uh, Deck 13, the devs went on to make the Surge and the Surge 2, which are some of my favorite games, and to me the best example of how you take the Souls formula and kind of make it your own. Um, unfortunately, the sequel, which uh, well, so Lords of the Fallen Two, has actually moved on to its third developer now. So, talk about troubled development. This game is mm. living it. So, essentially, Deck Thirteen themselves were working on it um, after uh, the first game came out in 2014. Then they abandoned it the next year to work on the Surge and the sequel. Obviously, later. Then in 2018, uh, another the second studio took over, Defiant Studios. Um, and then basically two years after that, now we're looking at a third developer uh, studio named Hexworks, which is a new studio put together by the publisher, CI Games. 
um, they've taken it over. And when you think about a game that originally started development in 2015, but it's not of the level of, like, you talk about games that are in development for a long time and they've got people yeah. super looking up forward to them, like Duke and Forever and things. This game isn't like mm. that, you know. So it's really worrying, I think, that they're still trying to, you know, salvage this. And it Lords of Fallen did get buzzed when it came out. Um, it wasn't like it was a you know, completely unknown game. But then, you know, like Amalur, which we'll talk about later, which had a much bigger buzz than Lords of Fallen, that um, both of the games kind of just, you know, like, they fell out of the general kind of consciousness, you know, after they first they came out. And the fact that this is now being worked on by the third developer, it's kind of rough. Like, what state would that game be, be in at this point? Um, so apparently it's now being set for next gen, uh, as you'd imagine, and PC. And I hope it ends up being a, a thing, um, you know, and because I, I have always looked forward to seeing what they could do with a sequel to Lords of the Fallen. But the fact by, that it's not by Deck 13 is... Which had that also hasn't been they've been working on it for a long time. It makes me wonder, you know, at this point, do you just do you just try to create a new game as opposed to you know just trying to tack onto this IP that just didn't never was meant to launch a franchise and never did. So it's a shame, um, but I hope, yeah, I hope, I hope something happens with it. Yeah, it's never never good when you know you're sort of changing developers like. You know, even even when you see significant staff turnover at a developer, like it's it's the same as uh, Retro Studios with Metroid Prime Four. Like that game, that really worries me. That game, you know, and yeah, when you see that kind of development cycle, it's it's the same as uh, Halo Infinite at the moment, right? Like they've gotten some some of the old hands from Halo to come back to try to, I don't know if you say rescue that game, but. You know, it's probably not in a great space, right? So the reason why those games don't worry me at all is because they've got the backing of of huge corporate entities yeah. behind them, and they're also very beloved IPs with rich histories. Lords of the Fallen doesn't have any of that stuff. It's it's a mm. it's you know it's a it's Eurojank action RPG that kind of you know <laughs> that did you that, say Eurojank? Okay, so Eurojank. Oh, that's so awesome. is that that's a new that's word awesome. for you, is it? Oh man, okay, all right. I actually have been thinking of doing a feature at some point about my favorite Eurojank. Um, <laughs> you should. That's man, that's mad. I love that. But um, but the thing is, basically, all right. So Deck Thirteen have turnaround on that. My thoughts on that developer is just wild because they put out a game called Venetica on uh, 360, and I imagine it was on PS3 as well. That game's a buggiest piece of crap i've ever played in my life it was so buggy that if you had to save in certain rooms in the game across this and it was a pretty open world game not huge uh otherwise you 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 risked the risked characters just disappearing from the entire world not coming back including <laughs> and whether or not it was someone random or if it was Mad. an entire an entire quest person main quest and that happened to me <laughs> and it was a known problem. And then they turn around, they make Lords of the Fall, and then the Surge games, and they've just turned into a developer that I now have a lot of respect for. So it just goes to show that, you know, it just takes a couple of great games for a developer to change your mind. So. Yeah, no, fair enough. And uh, let's get into my favorite segment of every single week, uh, The Bargain Bin. Uh, so as always, we'll kick off with the Epic Game Store because they always deliver. 
uh, some nice tasty free games. Uh, so, you know, this week, I'm not saying it's off week or even next week, but it's probably not the heavy hitters that we've had recently. Uh, but this week, the free games are Railway Empire and Where the Water Tastes Like Wine. Uh, and then in next week, we'll have Stick It to the Man. Uh, and and you'd be very pleased that we don't need to mention the unmentionable uh, story episodic game that we've been mentioning in the last few weeks. Woohoo! <laughs> Um, and then just switching to the Nintendo Switch, like the pun there. Um, you know, I'll, I'll just call this out. So Crypt of the Necrodancer is actually on sale, all-time low price, $6. And that is the definitive edition of that game from memory. I probably would say, I, I'm actually going to pick that game up. Like, I've, I've finally just gone, you know what, stuff, I'm going to buy that game. Um, because given that you've got uh, the Zelda sort of inspired spin-off, and that that is getting a cartridge version, like a definitive edition version of that of that game. I'm actually keen to just try and get through and just play and see how much I gel with Crypt of the Necrodancer. I know that there's a demo, but I figure I'll just get the game and see if I like it. And if I like that game, then I'll probably pick up um, the Zelda spin-off, which I which I refuse to say the name of because it's so bloody long. Um, you know, when it gets it, when it comes out on cartridge, because I think that's a pretty cool game to grab. And I love those kind of music style games. And then on the PlayStation. So I just wanted to call out some of the PS VR sales. And this has actually annoyed a lot of people in the PS community, just because they've come out basically on the PlayStation blog saying there's going to be no next gen news this week, like the week coming. Um, and you know, given all the announcements with the series S, the series X, the pricing, the release date, all the PlayStation fans are like, are you kidding me? Like, when are we going to find out when the bloody console is coming out, how much it's going to cost when we can pre-order. So yeah, people are getting pretty fired up, but they've said it's going to be a very PSVR week (laughs) next week, which is, I think that's awesome. It made me laugh so hard, but there's actually really good sales on, um, some of the really good PSVR games. So I've just picked three that I think are probably the top three that are on sale. Uh, so Astrobot is uh, $20 and 33 cents. So that's uh, 67, uh, 63% off Tetris effect, uh, which is the VR version of that game. So it's 27 47 and these are all Australian prices and super hot VR, which is uh, $15 and 18 cents, which is 60% off. So any of those games is really, really awesome. Can, can I say super hot? Have you played super hot? No, but I've actually seen a lot of people play it. It's a really, really cool concept. Do you, you know how it works? I've, I've played it. That's what I was asking you. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, well, like, for the sake of every, the listeners, it's yeah, yeah. It's basically like a game where you know, like, you, time doesn't move until you do, and then it's like this whole very kind of crazy virtual reality, you know, like monotone with red colors look to it. Um, the reason I wanted to mention it is that I can't play that game. And I still don't know why. I, it's. But did it, you play VR version or just no, the no, console? No, no, so the, the regular. Yeah. But what's weird is that game gives me like a bit of vibes of Killer Seven in its visual style, and also how it just ran. It chucks up text on the screen and kind of like, I. It just makes me. I don't know why, but I feel really um, anxious playing that game. And I, <laughs> it's weird because. Okay. Like, it's a game where literally you'll see enemies, but unless you move, they're, like, going... It's like time does move, but it's so slow. But I don't know why. It's just there's so much in the whole presentation in the game, how you can actually leave the game and you're, like, you know, like a computer screen and stuff. It's 
it's just really unnerving to me. Like I tried playing that game and I don't know why I just, I, it's weird. I don't know why it's not a horror game. So I don't know. If, like, <laughs> that's why I uh, if you kind of knew what I meant, if you played it. So if you do play it one day, I just want to, I'd be interested to get your take on it. I, you know, cause we've already spoken about, uh, Oculus and, you know, by the way, you know, this is way out of the segment, but, um, Oculus is now not on sale in Germany anymore. And it seems to be based on some of the Facebook, you know, forcing people to have a Facebook account to get the Oculus. And you, you, there's like, you know, laws against third, third line forcing or even support services in Germany. Um, so, you know, I've already said that I'm definitely never going to get an Oculus now. Like I'm off that idea. And the Steam VR, you know, the index, it, it's just too expensive in Australia. And it doesn't seem like they want to support Australia, um, Valve. So that's also kind of off the table. So then, you know, PSVR, it seems like it's almost certain they're going to have a PSVR 2. That might be the first time that I dip into VR, to be honest. So, you know, down the line when I get a PS5, which I think I will get eventually, you know, I'm probably looking, you know, maybe dipping in there. And there's a bunch of games I want to play. Like Astro Bot is probably number one on the list of the games that I want to play in VR and you know, I didn't mention Beat Saber. It's not on sale, but I think Beat Saber looks really, really cool as well. And yeah, Super Hot is one of the other ones that I wanted to pick up. So I was almost debating about buying them now because I figure maybe they'll go up in price in the future with I've PSVR heard, 2. I've heard Moss is very good as well. Um, mm. Yeah, it's starting to be like, because, you know, I feel like Astrobot is probably the closest thing to a bit of a killer app for um, PSVR because I just hear so many good things about that game. You know, very good Australian podcast, Filthy Casuals. Um, so they're an Australian comedy video game podcast. Uh, I think last year or no, it would have been the year prior, right? When Astrobot came out, they actually said it was the game of the year for them, Astrobot, out of all the other games, which is pretty impressive for a VR game, I think. And then um, just finally to round out uh, with Xbox, the, the only thing I wanted to mention here, and unless you had anything else, was that uh, EA Play is going to be integrated for free in uh, Game Pass or Game Pass Ultimate. I thought it was Game Pass. I can't re- recall now. This is really interesting. Um, I just, I'd like to kind of know the, like, the, I guess the the deals that were made here to make this happen because oh yeah, on the surface you're thinking, and obviously they wouldn't do this, but like, like what's the money model that EA makes from this because it's got to obviously make more sense than than not um because there's no reason why you'd ever want to sign up just to EA play at that point it's like what would be the point on on Xbox I should say well yeah cuz I don't think you can oh you know I should have checked this before I don't think you can get EA play on PlayStation I thought it was PC no, so EA Access got renamed to EA Play. They're kind of like similar services, and I think EA Play is the the recent rebranding or whatever. But yes, um, they're rebranding. They, they, did, they did launch on PlayStation, but it was out oh, okay. for for probably at least a year before it ever came to PlayStation, maybe longer. Um, this is this is interesting. I think this is really. I mean, it's an addition at no extra cost, so I don't think anyone can complain at all unless they just really don't want to see EA games pop up in the in the Game Pass list, which is ridiculous. Uh, I'm looking forward to this because of the Battlefield games. Um, so depending mm. on the ones they have in in their vault and things, because it's not every single EA game, unlike no. Game Pass, but um, it 
it's then I can, you know, I can try Battlefield, I guess, potentially Battlefield 1 or Battlefield uh, 5 and that, um, depending which ones are in there, um, without having to, you know, commit. Some of that stuff has been free on, uh, you know, different times. So it's probably less of a, you know, big win. But, hey, they've, you know, they've got a whole bunch of cool games in their, their vault. So, yeah. Oh, I think it's amazing. I think, like, you know, I'm always big on good deals and things like that. And, yeah, I think anyone who would be against this because it's, you know, EA, it's, I don't know, it's crazy to me. Like, why would you be against it? It's free. <laughs> you know, it's a part of it. Like, just don't play it if you don't want it, right? Yeah, I like, mean... It's, it's strange to me. Honestly, not a big deal, but if, you know, if anyone had any... The only thing I could think of, and this is really grasping straws, if people like, well, then <laughs> does EA now have all my information about, you know, stuff like that? But that's pro- they probably already got it all anyway. <laughs> they do. <laughs> Let's be real. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, yeah, so, like, you know, for me, you know, and again, I just keep going on about it, that, you know, the Series S... This again because you know, and you were right on the money. I got to give you credit where it's due. You're sort of like, hey, the whole point of the consoles just to get people on the services rather than get them, you know, into the actual games or like try to sell the console or the games itself. It's more sell the service. So I think you're 100% right with that because you know, I saw this and I was like, oh, geez, another reason you know, the, the Series S is kind of compelling because you know, I do what I normally do, I go. You know, would I play any of these games? Are these kind of games that are compelling to me? And, you know, to be honest, like, you know, games like Madden, FIFA, NBA Live, they're kind of games I would never go out and buy. And I don't really care if I played like last year's game, but they're kind of games that like, if they're available to me, like I'd, I'd like to fire them up and play it. And I feel like, you know, with you, you know, maybe I hit you up and go, hey, do you want to play a few games of Madden and see how we go or NBA live or you know or those kind of games yeah like i feel like they're, they're kind of fun to just play online with your mates like especially if they're for free and, and like, just yeah. looking through the list like battlefront 2 is also there and it's that's a game i definitely not buy but you know if it's there to play i'm like yeah maybe i'd fire that up and have a go i and i'd be with madden i'd be like yeah let's uh let's hook up a, a super nintendo and play madden 93 instead <laughs> Hey, well, you know, I love to get into this kind of stuff, but they actually have um, ROM hacks for those games to add in all the modern teams and modern players. So, like, the current year roster, which is really, really cool. But, yeah, no, no, it's really, really uh, cool. And I think just, you know, another reason to... It almost, to me, feels like if if you're in the Xbox ecosystem and you don't have Game Pass, it's just... I don't really understand at this point. Like, it's such good value in gaming it's the best value in gaming and it is probably the only one that is becoming a bit of a next netflix for gaming so that that's it for the the bargain bin this week kingdom of amala yeah so i talked about this week being um you know probably my most anticipated week um turned into you know the unexpected with like final fantasy 7 stuff but i've been so looking forward to this game since it was announced a couple of years ago because sorry a couple of months ago because I'm a huge fan of, of Kingdom of Amalur Reckoning and was really looking forward to see what an entirely new publisher and developer actually does with it and what they did. So can I ask, Intergot, do you know anything about this game at all? Not at all. Not at like all. when you said this, I, like I ne- like if someone said, is this a game, is this a real game or not? I would not be able to know. I'd just have to guess. 
Okay, that's 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 good because um, this game has a history, to put it lightly. So, do you do you know much about baseball? Yeah, I know a lot about baseball. Do you know much about the Red Sox? Yeah, of course, Boston Red Sox. Do you know anyone by the name of Kurt Schilling? No. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair enough. Uh, so, basically, oh, actually, I, jeez, man, I know what this story is now. It just. It just clicked when you said that. Yes. So This is the investment stuff. Yeah, yeah, go into this. This is cool. Yes. So basically, this game originally came uh, was developed by Big Huge Games and 38 Studios, and it was published by EA. This was a AAA published title. Like, it was huge at the time. It had actually a really big marketing uh, budget. Like, it was everywhere. It actually had a lot of buzz before it came out. This was not a game that kind of just no one knew about and then just just disappeared but it definitely when it came out it didn't set the world on fire it had actually pretty decent sales but it wasn't like you know the the next elder scrolls level of stuff that they were wanting it to be but the history of this is so weird so basically 38 studios was um owned by um kurt Schilling, so you know former red box uh red Sox baseball pitcher and they, he started working with a best-selling author called R.L. Salvatore, um, or Salvatore, I'm not sure how to say it, a fantasy author, um, to create basically this big universe with like a 10,000-year history, and they were going to build this big MMO, and it was going to be called Copernicus. Then, um, basically, it, it, I guess at the, as part of this, he struck a deal with Rhode Island, and the Rhode Island governor... Um, and to basically, you know, essentially help fund everything to do with this project. And they relocated all the, the studios to uh, the capital city, Providence, um, in exchange for like $75 million in bonds. And the idea was it would help stimulate their economy. So as part of this, they, so that was 38 studios, they acquired big, huge games who were already working on an existing single player RPG. And they actually essentially combined that into this universe. And that's what ended up becoming Kingdom of Amalur uh, Reckoning. So the idea is this would start a franchise. And it's pretty crazy who they had working on this. So heading up um, Big Huge Games was Ken Ralston, who uh, was the executive designer. And he worked on Morrowind and Oblivion. So huge uh, pedigree and obviously, you know, fantasy uh, RPGs and action RPGs that uh, R.L. Salvatore that I mentioned had was doing the law. You had Todd McFarlane working on the artwork of the game. Oh, cool. And you had Grant Kirkhope working on the musical score. From oh, wow. <laughs> what the hell? Banjo Kazooie, Goldeneye. So it, this game was like, it was like the super group of gaming. Uh, yeah. It was, <laughs> it was really like, this game had, as I said, like this game had a lot of buzz to it. Um, and it came out in February, 2012. To generally actually pretty good reviews, but as I said, it didn't set the world on fire for sales. I think at the 90-day mark, I'm not sure if this is just US or worldwide, but it had sold um, like 1.2 uh, million copies at 90 days. Mm. Not huge, but not tiny either. Um, yeah. But the problem is, this game came out three months after Skyrim. Oh. <laughs> So it doesn't matter how good their marketing budget was, or and the trailers are actually pretty cool. Like as I said, a lot of people are hyped about this game. Skyrim hit, and Skyrim was like the biggest thing in the gaming world for like the next twelve months at least. I reckon. Yeah, I'm not sure timeline wise when GTA Five came out. If it was kind of creepy in this same time frame, but um, it was 
yeah, it man, at that point, you just got to put it down to that is the worst possible timing to release uh, a new big open world um, RPG. It's three months after Skyrim. You know, that would be a really cool segment to do, just to talk about games that were released within, you know, I know in this case it's not weeks, but, you know, there are some games that are released, like, within a month of those type of level of titles and just absolutely get buried. Like, just get body slammed by these games. Yeah, I think the perfect example is... um... What was that hobby grade shooter? The one from Gearbox that launched alongside Overwatch. I can't even remember the name of it, but it was essentially like when you're launching the same like two month period as Overwatch, and you look very similar. Um, oh, I can't. Yeah, you're in trouble. It, I can't believe it. Um, <laughs> so, to get back to Amalur, so the game mm. had a bit of a controversy. So this was around the time of the online pass. So do you remember? Uh, you, I don't think you were massively into gaming around this time frame. Do you? know anything about the whole online pass um, era? No. Okay, so what it was is if you... A lot of games started to include an online pass, and the idea was it was a code that came with the, with the game when you bought it, it at retail. Oh, I think I do know this. Is this... Uh, yeah, go into it, but I think this is where you almost need to like have something like Xbox Live and then also have this thing to get into it so they are preventing like used game sales and all that kind of stuff. Exactly right. So it was a mm. code that basically uh, meant if you yeah, if you purchase game used, you couldn't access, let's say, the online features of online games or um, in a weird example, the Saboteur. There was like um, your main base in that game was like a um, burlesque club. And it was like a VIP room in, in the club that actually had like actual people on poles and nudity and stuff. Saboteur's actually- Which game is this? So I can avoid it, of course. The Saboteur. Um, okay, Saboteur, Saboteur avoid that game. A really good game, but uh, <laughs> they, that VIP part was the online pass. So it had nothing to do with multiplayer. It was just, hey, you know, and again, they may not have called it online pass themselves, but that's essentially what it was. And Amalur had this as well. And it had about seven quests locked behind it and and also had things like uh, Shepard's Armor from Mass Effect um, behind it and things like that. Like As I said, this game was an EA game. It was had a huge kind of uh, push behind it. And there was even an achievement locked behind it. So if you bought this game used, you could not actually unlock that achievement without going and purchasing because you could purchase that code separately via... Now, now, how did all the might of true achievements not bring this game down? <laughs> That's what I want to know. But, um, but what's interesting is Microsoft's own terms around how achievements are meant to be put in games actually said that you you cannot put achievements behind additional purchase content. Oh, really? Yeah, so... and Wait, but they do do that. They do do that because with DLC, right? No, so that base game achievements, not, not add-on. Oh, yeah. wow. Okay, so it breached the rules. Yeah, kind of, because technically if you bought the game new, you had... The, you had that content. So it's it's kind of, it's, let's just say the online pass went the way of the Dodo, thankfully, because it was... Thankfully. I understand why they wanted to do it, but um, but anyway, so that was, there was a bit of controversy about that. And after the game um, basically didn't, you know, sell that well, the actual Rhode Island governor at the time, so not the same guy that I guess approved the previous one, um, the said that essentially the game failed and they needed to sell over 3 million copies just to break even. <laughs> and so they, he basically said, he said that it was the worst investment that's ever been made in the history of Rhode Island. According to <laughs> it's, it's crazy that the game is so linked into that. And 
basically three months later, 38 Studios filed for bankruptcy with $150 million in debt. And Kurt Schilling lost apparently about $115 million of his own money from this endeavor. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, you know, I have to say this is terrible, but whenever I hear about Rhode Island, I always think about the great uh, Farrelly Brothers movie, Me, Myself, and Irene, starring Jim Carrey. Because that like Rhode Island's heavily featured in that movie. Oh man, and that leads us to basically THQ Nordic purchasing the rights of the game in 2018. So that leads us to Kingdom of Amalur Re Reckoning, which is a remaster of Kingdom of Amalur. And I'm really happy that this game has had another chance at life because I, as I mentioned before, I'm a huge fan of this game. Um, this game came out on Wednesday. I didn't start playing until Thursday, which I'll explain why. Um, and I've already put like 15 hours into it. And it's like mid-Saturday at the moment. So just put those calculations <laughs> in, in mind. Well, well, I think we're we're like, what, 15 minutes into your swing pressions? And <laughs> I think it's all been background so far. Well, that's because this in, this game has one of the most interesting backgrounds to it, probably of any game, in terms of how it was put together in the development. Um, well, well, can we just talk about THQ Nordic for a sec? I know that you're not even like into your impression, swing impressions yet. Yeah. But you know the whole THQ Nordic thing? What it reminds me a little bit about is, you know, Blumhouse Productions? Yes. That's what I feel like, you know, I remember when Blumhouse sort of started their development. So Blumhouse is... Uh, you know, a production house that specializes mostly in horror films. And, you know, they made it big with paranormal activity, but essentially, you know, they look at movies and, you know, they, they give the budget that you can make a decent movie like that. You know, a regular person looks at it and goes, they don't notice that it's not a hundred million dollar movie. It's a, you know, $10 million budget, $3 million budget type of movie. Um, and then just basically, you know, and this is very sort of a money ball kind of thing of, you know, how do you, how do you pump out as many of these type of movies, you know, over the course of a year so that one of them is just going to hit massive. And, you know, from your perspective, do you feel like, you know, THQ Nordic are almost trying to do the same with video games? Uh, yes and no. I mean, they they have an interesting history um, going back to Nordic games and they purchased Joe Wood. Um, we talk about Eurojank, like there's a lot of Eurojank in their library. Like Elix um, is a big, you know, pure example of, of that kind of game. Um, so I'm actually, like a lot of their library is the kind of stuff I like to play. Um, so I, tr- I consider them like, you know, you talk about AAA, they're like a single A publisher in a way, you know, they're, they're kind of, they've got the Darksiders games, which were, you know, a big, you know, they were a big franchise at one point, probably, you know, dropped down a bit. Yeah. But I mean, they've got a lot of great games in their, in their history. So it's, I, I think the quality is actually not, not too bad. It's just, they don't have, you know, they're, they're building up. And I think at some point, um, THQ Nordic will probably end up being a pretty big publisher, let's say, in, um, you know, in 10 years time. So, But I think that's where, you know, they, you know, they are trying to do that kind of Blumhouse approach of, I think they've said publicly that they've got something in the order of like 60 games in development across their publishing relationships and studios they own and things like that. And like, to your point, it's like a, at most double A games that they're trying to make. Yeah, I, but the thing is, they keep 
they went on a huge purchasing spree um, a few years ago. Mm. We, you know, this is one of the the things that they got. But you know, like even games like Remnant from the Ashes, um, mm. that, you know, they they're publishing Pillars of Eternity two now. Obsidian owned by Microsoft, so you'd imagine that you know any future Pillars of Eternity titles might be published by them. But just yeah, they've they've got a you know they even have the license for like Red Faction and and I think Saints Row and stuff like that as well now. So it's yeah, it it's. I think they're in an interesting spot, um, and I hope that this game actually does end up selling, you know, well for them. I don't think it's going to set the world on fire again. Definitely not. Um, but to, I guess to get back to the game, so yeah. King of Amalur, for anyone who doesn't know, is an open world action RPG set in a very fantasy world. So we're talking trolls, elves, dwarves, things like that. But Everything's so refined to this to this game, and I guess the like, just the the presentation um, and the the story in that it almost feels like a special hits compilation of every fantasy game that's ever existed, and it's basically yeah, it's 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 hard to kind of I guess maybe describe everything about the game, but maybe what I'm going to do is start with actually what's new with the remaster. So for anyone that's already played King of Amalur back in the day. So the game runs at really smooth 60 frames a second, which I'm so happy about because I didn't actually know that when I purchased it. Um, and the game's had um, really improved textures, so that it actually looks really, really nice, um, especially compared to the previous console versions. So, And also, I guess, to frame it a bit, I've completed this game... Uh, sorry, I've, I own this game previously three different times, and I've played it through it uh, on two of them. So I'm... A lot of experience playing this game, and it's the best I've ever seen it look. It includes all the DLC, includes the pretty sizable expansions, um, and it adds a new very hard mode, which it actually needed because playing on hard is actually still very easy in the game. It recalculates how it um, scales up all the enemies for each zone you go into. So instead, in the past, what would happen is you'd enter a zone and it would kind of store that level based on what your character level is. So every time you go back in there, it's gonna they're going to be as easy as they were. But they now recalculate it each time you enter, and then there's like a maximum level that they'll go to. They've changed the way that loot's generated across all the maps, and loot's a huge part of this game. There's And there's a bunch of new, like, small quality of life, like new camera settings and things. But the interesting parts are actually planning new expansion content, which is interesting to me because... Like the stuff that has been done to this, that they've worked on is stuff that already existed. So I wonder if they're going to, you know, there's going to be any new law written by or anything like that. But it's, yeah, it's it's pretty cool that they've actually put a bit of work into this remaster. It, it looks and plays great. So I guess overall, if anyone doesn't know much about the game, it's a huge open world game, but it's kind of separated into separate zones. So rather than something like Skyrim, where you could walk from one end to the other, this has. Like you look at the map and it's got about 30 big zones that you kind of go through. And every single one of them is absolutely jam-packed full of stuff. Whether or not it's obviously enemies, but, you know, secrets. And each of the zones is handcrafted. So unlike some games that are open world where you feel that they've like, they've just refined, like the generated terrain based on, you know, like auto generation and cleaned it up. This is similar to like Zelda and things like that, um, or at least early Zelda games, where everything feels handcrafted. Um, mm. And it's similar to like games like Greedfall, Gothic, Risen, um, talk about Eurojank, there you go. Um, 
and there is cool lore. So the fact that they got the um, you know the fantasy writer work on it, um, there's lore stones, and each of them will be they're based on audio books. So they'll, they'll play poetry and songs. It's really really cool. Very especially in the early part of the game, it's very Gaelic in tone. Um, with you know there's like all races like elves or fays and things like that. So it's it's very it's very influenced by you know like a lot of I guess you know cultural mythology and things, but. Honestly, what I love the most about this game is the combat, which is pretty crazy for an action RPG. Like, usually combat is a means to an end to experience the exploration and the story. But to me, it's almost like the main selling point of this game. So rather than playing like a lot of other RPGs or action RPGs, it plays more like God of War or Devil May Cry or Darksiders. Like, the combat is so smooth and feels awesome. Like, if there's when you hit enemies, there's like slight delays and everything feels weighty. And then you can start unlocking a lot more um, skill-based things. So if you time the combos at the right time, it will do more different moves and different power. So it's very much, it is very much an action RPG. It's almost like the quintessential action part of the RPG. And it's probably my favorite combat system in any action RPG, um, just because of how nice it is to play. Um, it's And there's great weapons, lots of variety. Um, there's also... There's a really cool ability, um, sustained ability. So generally a lot of RPGs, you have, you know, your health and your magic. And then you have abilities and you use that magic up and then whatever. It might regenerate, might not. But this is pretty cool. If you don't really use a lot of those abilities, you can turn on these, I guess, permanent buffs that you can toggle on and off. And they will eat into basically your MP meter. So let's say I've got a shield that I want to activate. I activate it and it stays on, but suddenly my MP meter is now two-thirds of what it normally is. And so basically, if you don't want to use those abilities to use MP, you can instead just use your MP bar as almost like a meter to toggle these abilities on and off. So it's something I haven't seen used in many other single-player RPGs. It's probably a thing in MMOs. But it's just a really neat, um, I guess, just system. And it's got lots of, you know, even the way the skill trees works is pretty cool and everything. But a lot of that is pretty standard for the course, um, uh, especially, you know, since this game is 2012. So I'm not going to say it's the most has the most modern systems to it. Um, specifically, when you start getting into things like inventory management, um, one thing I was hoping they'd really fix was the way that all worked. And they didn't really touch much of that at all. And... It's kind of, yeah, I think we're past that point now of of impeding the player just to kind of put these arbitrary restrictions on them. Um, I wish they kind of alleviated some of that. But yeah, I mentioned the presentation. It's It looks gorgeous um, for a game that, you know, came out in 2012. Um, the terrain looks like great, like lots of color. And I think color is the key thing here. Um, and the music is as cool as ever. So I mentioned Grant. Kirkhope, um, you can definitely once you know that he worked on it, you can start to kind of hear those those um, I guess hallmarks. But mm. if you didn't know that it's still it's it's just nice. So I guess overall, like I very high on this game, but I was also high on the original. Um, I think they've done a good job, but I have hit a lot of bugs already, and that's a shame. I, the thing is, I I knew I'd probably run into this because. THQ Nordic and some of the developers I have working for them, sometimes the quality is a bit lacking on the on the finish to it. So the fact that they're working with very 
well-refined game to begin with and then there's still a few bugs on top of it uh, like i was running around for an hour and my character was missing their legs <laughs> everyone to see it like there's just nothing between the awesome. and you know where the where the body the upper body started um but the worst thing was how they handled the launch and i've got a i've got to call them out massively on this so some people had the option or you had the option to buy a special edition that gave you like a couple of days early access or at least one day early access so the game came out wednesday right but there was a day patch that wasn't ready yet and that day one patch had the very hard mode. It had a whole bunch of stuff that wasn't there in the game yet. And the big thing for me and a lot of other people is it had no achievements at all. Like you couldn't unlock any of it. And because of that, they ended up delaying the day one patch to be a day two patch. So if you essentially wanted to play the game and not get screwed over by potentially having to restart your game or if you wanted to play it on very hard a lot of the people that bought it earlier the diehard fans then you had to wait an entire day after it was released to even be able to play it and that was i was in that situation so they they but did did people know that that was going to happen or was that sort of no no so so you could have started playing your game 10 15 hours in and then they released this this new uh difficulty setting and you can't switch to it so I don't believe you could switch to it because you like you can swap swap the difficulty in any time, but because you were playing a game that was started on the previous patch, I don't believe you could swap to the very hard at that point. So for a lot of Ugh. people that wanted to play it on that from the beginning, well, it wasn't there, so they couldn't play it, even start it. So the idea was, well, wait, I thought it was a very hard mode here. Um, mm. The achievements thing seems to be a mistake. Like they didn't even realize that was going to be the case, and that's why I think the day one patch got delayed is because someone had forgotten to toggle all that stuff on. So, <laughs> like the like the achievement list was live and some of that. But one thing I just want to give people also a bit of a heads up about this is that if you, um, I mentioned the inventory system um, in this game, so the your limit is so harsh in, to begin with in this game and you don't have access to like storage to put all your loot into until a little bit into the game. So if anyone starts it, just kind of after you get to like level five, just mainline it to um, there's like a webwood area that's like below the main area with spiders. If you go there, you'll get access to a house that has storage and then everything just becomes much easier to deal with after you've got access to like a storage thing. So overall, I've, I, I love this game. Um, I think it's... I, I can't recommend it enough for people that, you know, love a really um, meaty action RPG, but also people just love exploring because, as I mentioned, those zones are handcrafted. And so unlike a lot of open world games where you're like, well, I'm just going to kind of move to my next objective, this is the kind of game you want to explore every nook and cranny of the entire map. And you kind of... It, it's, it's just so well-crafted in that regard. So... Big, uh, big thumbs up from me, and I think hmm. Master's done. They've done a great job with it. So, like, you know, what's the most similar game to this game? Is it like a Skyrim or? Uh, no. So I'd say it's probably closest to Fable in yep. some regards. Um, much more open than Fable, and much bigger. Um, but it's it's almost. I wish Fable had this combat system. If Fable had this combat Ooh. system, um, I'd, I'd love Fable even more because Fable, the way that I love the tone of Fable more, you know, and it's it's got lots of humor and, you know, there's lots of cool stuff you can do in that game, but the combat can be lacking in number two and number three. And I only have played Anniversary and not the original. 
um, this game has the combat. Like, <laughs> it's it's awesome. So I'd say Fable is the closest comparison. And would you say if someone was a fan of Fable, they should just buy this now, like at full price, or, you know, it's valuable at that price, or sort of wait until it goes on sale, or... I definitely think it's worth um, worth the full price, but maybe give it a couple mm. of weeks from the irons and bugs out. Ah, yeah, makes sense. Makes sense. Hmm, sounds like you're enjoying it. It'll be interesting to see how you go with it in the future. Yeah, definitely. I'm. It's a big game, so I probably it'll probably take me a good uh, couple of weeks to wrap up. I reckon. So. Yeah. Nice. And uh, just getting into the last segment for the podcast, my impressions, sorry to steal your own pun, um, on the Analog DAC. And as I said earlier, didn't think we would talk about anything from Analog for a while, uh, but I did have a birthday this week and my wife very kindly uh, bought me an Analog DAC. So just, you know, to ground it all, uh, you know, I have a Analog Super NT, which is like a FPGA clone of a Super Nintendo that outputs to HDMI only. And basically the analog DAC, DAC being digital to analog converter, what it does is it takes the HDMI signal and then converts it into an analog signal. And why would you do that? It's because then I can plug it into a CRT. Um, and I do, I was lucky enough to pick up a really, really good Trinitron Sony TV that actually has component, sort of like a RGB semi-equivalent. Um, and I never actually had anything that I could plug into component so until I had this. And I'd tried things like the Raspberry Pis. I had a, a hat for that, so that output it into composite, not to component. And yeah, so I plugged this all together. It's quite a convoluted setup because it's sort of like it plugs it into the Super NT and then that has an output into the analog DAC and then that then plugs into my CRT and sort of hooked everything up, updated all the software, all updated all the hardware, everything like that. And I kind of turned it on anticipating it not to work just because, you know, with these things, they're quite pedantic. Um, and then I fired it up and dude, I have to say... Like I, I started playing uh, Donkey Kong Country Two Diddy's Conquest, and man, I was like blown away. Like I know I'm very pedantic with these kind of things, but like I, I literally cannot wait to to show you this in person whenever that's going to be. It to me, and maybe I'm just like I don't know, I'm like delusional, but it just feels so good, and it's sort of like it's kind of almost like a weird, stupid thing that I'm about to say, but it's like. It just feels like a crisper HD version of our of our childhood. <laughs> like it just looks so clean. Like it blew me away. Okay. Like how So it does have you tried with that Trinitron just trying your original SNES? If I don't know if you still got it with the game. No, I don't have my I you know, I'm far too kind. I actually gave away all my games and my NES and SNES to a kid that basically had nothing. It was like this poor kid that we knew. Because the um, Trinitron by itself is a is a great CRT, so I'm like, does it actually look better? Or are you thinking of, oh, this is what it used to look like? Or first of all, okay, this is what it looks like on an emulator or whatever, which is not going to look anything as good as this. Like, that's what I'm wondering. Does it actually look better? Or is it, do you think it's the TV? <laughs> I'll, be, I'll be fully open. Like, from my perspective, it from my recollection... 
Yes, but you know, like, and just putting on the record here, I think it'd be really good because you still have your SNES, right? Yeah, it's pretty yellow at this point, but yeah. Yeah, like, so when you do have an opportunity to be released from your government enforced <laughs> prison, um, you know, and you do make it up to Sydney, like, if you can, and this is asking a lot, you should bring the SNES up because we should hook it up and just check it. But, but I, don't, it might just... I don't own Donkey Kong Country 2, so <laughs> we'd have to No, do no, it. but I've, I've uh, got the cartridges. I've got I, everything. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, so we should do it. We should test it to see what it looks like because maybe it's just nostalgia goggles and maybe I'm so delusional, but I was playing through it and, you know, and again, <laughs> okay, I'm going to really sound like a like an idiot right now, but, you know, because we recently played Donkey Kong Country and we were playing it, I played it on the Nintendo Switch Online because, you know, it got released on the Nintendo Switch Online. So, you know, I felt like I should play it there. I was playing through it and you know how I said I just cheated all my way through. I just saved states and got through the game. But I did feel like I wasn't, it didn't feel quite tight. And like, this is not apples to apples because I wasn't playing Donkey Kong Country, but playing Diddy's Diddy's Conquest, man, it just felt so tight, the game. And again, you know, everything with this, the way I'm playing it, it introduces no lag at all because, you know, it's the Super NT to the, the DAC and then straight to the CRT and none of those steps has any real frame lag. Like the only thing that, has a little bit of lag is my wireless controller, but it's a really good wireless controller that is a low latency one. Um, it just felt really responsive, man. Like I was playing it and I was like, holy moly, I was blown away by it. And my wife did come up, right? And she looked at it and she's like, wow, this looks like really crisp. So I don't know, dude, like I- I'm super keen for you to bring up the Super Nintendo and it would be like, you know, I do have a sick sense of humor. I would find it hilarious if we plug it in to composite and everything like that and, and check them out. And it just looks pretty much the same. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, like it wouldn't make me laugh. I, I love the idea of like all this big push over the last decade to get classic consoles going into digital signals and HDMI. And I just love <laughs> the idea of then having converted to bring it back. I just love that idea. <laughs> well, but it's to bring it back, but... To be fair, it's to bring it back in a high-quality format still for the analog world, if that makes sense. Because when we were growing up, you know, in Europe, they had SCART, which is pretty high-quality. Like, it's basically RGB. Um, but, you know, we we played with composite. We, we were in, like, the worst region. Because PAL in Australia, like, you know, the games didn't even run at full speed, which we didn't know at the time. And then it wasn't until you got onto emulators and things like that and played it there. It's like, oh, this game plays faster and feels better almost. Um, so, no, look, like, you know, this is not a full-on review or anything like that, but I was just really impressed with how well the unit worked and, you know, like analog in a very complimentary way, like to me feels like a bit of a like an apple of that whole retro gaming scene. It just, you know, you plug these devices in, like they have really like small touches that I love because I'm very pedantic. Like even the fact that the the color and the LED on my Super NT can be synced to the LED color and display on the analog DAC, so they're like synchronous. Sorry. Like so they both could be red or both rotate colors. Stuff like that to me is like I just find that to be a very high-level professional touch. Just sorry, when that... you say the word DAC, it just makes me laugh because that's like... <laughs> Why? It's the word to DAC someone, right? 
Is that, oh, is, that, is that a thing outside Australia? I don't think so. You should explain what that is. So that's when you like run up to someone and pull their pants down. So it's like a, it's something kids would do to other kids to be horrible and like, you know, oh, I'm going to dack you in front of your mates and stuff like that. I don't know what, I why dack would be the word. It is the word, but I don't understand the etymology of it. I don't know, but it's like, you know, like how wedging is a thing. It's kind of like a similar thing there. And it's kind of horrible. Like when you think about it, like I, I happened to me as a kid, no joke, like when I was living in England, um, like kids go to pubs in England all the time, right? Just with yeah. that's their family places. And some some arsehole kid dacked me in the middle of that pub, like as as a kid, and I'm like I'll I'll still remember that. And so you, you've given me PTSD now <laughs> talking about this. Actually it's funny you say that, because yeah, in England, in Australia, like I don't really think many people do like a wedgie. No, like that no. that feels very American. But yeah, people did get dacked. And, you know, in America, it's more like people get the wedgie. But I feel like the DAC thing is way worse. Like, way, way worse. Like, I'd rather get wedgied than get dacked. Well, also, it depends if people, like, try to do the full DAC on you. Like, if it's just oh. your pants <laughs> and try to, like, get it, grab an extra piece of material there, then you're off. I have to say, you know, it, more the dacking, especially the full dacking, to me, that. That's almost like sexual assault these days. <laughs> that's, that's, oh, man. Full decking. Yeah, of course it is. Like, I think it, yeah, like, obviously <laughs> intent does matter, but still. <laughs> no, it doesn't. It doesn't. It, at least in Australia, the law standard is how you feel about it as a victim, not about the intentions of the perpetrator. So if you felt like you've been, you know, sexually assaulted, that's all it, the threshold is. I, lo- I love how your first impressions segment was suddenly talking about sexual assault. <laughs> <laughs> on, on children. <laughs> but yeah, it's funny you say that because DAC is a very common term in, uh, in audio production and like electronics. So for me, it was really familiar. So it, yeah, it didn't, it didn't click like that. But um, yeah, just to sort of, you know, sum it up. I think that, you know, if you're on the fence, like, and and I should be clear as well, that, you know, there are a lot of um, systems that take in HDMI signals and then bring it back into analog signals. This product only works on analog products. So it would only work on like the Super NT, the Mega SG. It will work on the analog pocket, which I'm really pumped about because that means that I can play... In, like next year, whenever I receive mine, I'm lucky enough to get get one. Um, I'll be able to play uh, uh, Game Boy Advance games on a CRT. So, like, I mean, like that to me is like heaven. I'd like, I can't wait to play, you know, Metroid and Castlevania, those great games on the GBA on a CRT because it's actually really hard to play consoleized versions of of uh, the Game Boy Advance. So, yeah, like I, I'm super pumped about it. Again, like I said, and it is very like an Apple thing, right? Like it only works with analog products from a HDMI. There's like some kind of special thing that they do that the way that they transmit the signal. It's not just like a regular HDMI signal. Um, so it only work with analog stuff. So if you do have a Super NT or a Mega SG and you are thinking about, you know, like, hey, I'd like to get this on the CRT that I have. And again, like I don't have you know, a Sony PVM or BVM or, you know, RGB monitor. Like this is just a consumer grade Trinitron that does have component. So which that is not completely standard. 
Um, I, you know, like I said, I plugged it in and to me it looks like unreal. It looks so good. And I have to say, like, I, oh, I know I'm very pedantic, like as a person, but I really genuinely cannot see myself going back and playing these games on emulator or on, um, you know, the, the Nintendo switch, like the, you know, super, super NES and NES stuff that's on there. Like it's just so much better on a CRT. I just, I just cannot go back. Like, I feel like I've, I've wrecked myself with that. So yeah, like I said, you know, if you have these products, it's very, very niche audience. I would highly recommend this product. And again, the shipping to Australia is disgusting. Please analog, do something about it. It's horrible. Um, but yeah, no, no, I really like it. It was really good. Thumbs up. Big thumbs up from impressions from me. Big big thumbs up for full dacking from Intigod. <laughs> you want to get dacked with your analog products. That's that's the summary. <laughs> and uh, that, that wraps us up for this show uh, this week. Again, if you do want to help us out, we are a very small little Aussie podcast, but uh, share it with your friends. Give us a like, thumbs up, uh, five-star review, wherever you're hearing us on. Um, and then always uh, feel free to reach out to us. So at BigWigPod on Twitter or reach out to us through the YouTube comments. We'll almost reply to every single comment. Uh, we like to see the audience grow and we're having a good time with this. Uh, but with that, I'd like to say bye-bye. See ya.